you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans. Welcome back to Star Wars The Saga Continues. And uh, we are back talking about the finale of Season 3 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 24, The Return. Um, Excited to dive into it and talk about all the cool stuff from this finale. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tim. How's it going, Tim? What's up, Kyle? I am very excited and also very relieved about the episode we're going to be talking about that wrapped up season three for The Mandalorian. So, yeah, we've been so ever since the last one, we were just anticipating and speculating on what this episode and this finale was going to entail for us. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about, but I am very, very excited to go deep into it like we always do. Yeah, definitely. And uh, of course, it's just me and Tim here tonight. Um, You know, if you're wondering where Paul's at, he's just been really busy with life stuff lately. Um, And also, of course, we've been recording more frequently than usual doing Mando every week. So um, after this, we'll probably go back to, you know, trying to get on a schedule that works for all of us and doing like every couple of weeks. But um, hopefully at some point, I know we still need to go back and talk about uh, the end of Bad Batch season two. And then maybe at some point we'll do sort of like a Mando season three uh, retrospective with Paul so he can give his thoughts on it as well. Um, but glad at least we've got me and Tim here tonight and we can talk, uh, just all about that finale. Um, and you're right. I mean, we could go through and, you know, talk about the episode kind of scene by scene, but I kind of feel more like just kind of giving overall impressions and then talking about kind of the things that stood out. And like you said, it was, um, kind of a relief. I mean, I think that was the biggest surprise was just sort of that it ended on a happy ending um that it wasn't quite as like the episode wasn't quite as dark as i expected it to be there weren't as many twists or reveals or you know plot twists as i expected you know there was no traitor after all um and nobody else died except for paz Vizla, um and moff gideon of course but um mm, debatable you know <laughs> well yeah but you know we didn't lose any more of the heroes so um Yeah, it was kind of surprising. And it was one of those things where um, I know some people were kind of disappointed by it and some people had their hopes up and were just expecting a different episode. And um, I feel like for the first half of it, I was kind of like, "Mm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. But then like once the battle for Mandalore started and you have the whole aerial battle with all the Mandalorians going at it and like the armor knocking stormtroopers out of the air with their hammer and like the battle between Moff Gideon and, and Din Djarin and then... Bogatan coming in and fighting Moff Gideon with the Darksaber. Like, it was just awesome. And I I was having a good time with it. Um, 
you know, definitely not like the most mind-blowing episode of Mando that we've had and, you know, not the best uh, season finale that the show has had so far, but it was a really fun episode. It had a lot of really cool moments and I'm definitely happy with where it ended. So um, looking forward to getting into, you know, talking about more specifics and stuff, but how'd you feel about it overall? Yeah, overall, I loved it. And again, take what you were saying was the finale I was not expecting. And we were talking about it on our last episode where we were anticipating the worst maybe for some characters, in particular Din Djarin, and just how it would just really being teased that it was going to be one, like in a really emotional one where like, like prepare yourselves, this is going to be some heavy stuff going on, so maybe some losses. So I was really anxious going into it. Um, I texted you on the night it was airing or before it aired. I'm like, I haven't been this anxious slash excited for a Star Wars season finale since Twilight of the Twilight of the Apprentice for Star Wars Rebels season two, just because that one we knew was going to be the big confrontation between Vader and Ahsoka. But would Ahsoka survive? And how, what was some of the other characters like Kanan and Ezra? What was something bad was going to happen to them? And yeah, there was uh, that anxious slash excitement going into that. And I had that almost exact same feeling with the Mandalorian season three finale. But when the episode was over, like I said, there was like, that relief feeling that yes, Din Djarin survived because he was the one, the main one I was concerned about, maybe not surviving this. And I kind of echoed a, or a said on our last episode how I would be very disappointed if that were to happen. But thankfully, that wasn't the case. And like you said, just the way it left things um, in store for us to kind of be prepared for for season four is was really great. It really wrapped up this pretty much the whole three, three seasons that we have of this series so far. It just really felt like the end of a major story arc over the course of these three seasons. And moving forward, it's going to be like a new status quo, just a new um, story threads and new adventures that they're going to go on that's not going to be tied too much to what we experienced in these first three seasons. So I thought it was a great way of wrapping it up. And I've seen a lot of people uh, say this, and I kind of felt the same way too when it ended, where it almost felt like a series finale where um mandalorian has got their home planet back their mandalore has been restored din Djarin is with grogu on <laughs> in their own home uh, just kind of relaxing on the homestead <laughs> just echoing those we old western vibes there and that um it just felt like a happy ending and a satisfying conclusion for these characters if this was the end of the series but thankfully it's not we knew for a while that john favreau has said he's well into writing season four. So we know their adventures are going to continue. And that's great because, man, if we didn't know anything about it, I'd be nervous right now just wondering, oh, man, is the series going to continue? Is this really it? Because it really did have a finality to it when the episode ended. So, but yeah, I just really like um, what it did for the characters, where it ended things, and just tons of great visual and Star Wars action that I was just loving all the way through. So yeah, was it what I was expecting? As I was expecting a lot of doom and gloom, but it was just very happy and very satisfied uh, with where things ended up for pretty much most of the characters in the season finale. So yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, yeah, it kind of had the feeling of one of those TV finales where like it's a season finale and they're not sure if the show was going to get renewed for the next season or not. And so like they wrap up enough stuff that if that has to be the end, then it's a satisfying ending. But they mm -hmm. also leave you with enough that like, you know, there's still more story to tell if they were to do another season. Because, um, yeah, they resolved everything nicely with Mandalore. The Mandalorians got their planet back. They routed the Empire. Um 
but you know now Din is offering to work for the New Republic, and you know he's back with Grogu, and you know they're going to go off on adventures with just the two of them. Um, but you know there's plenty to explore there, and you know he's talking about helping the New Republic fight the Imperial Remnant, and we know from the last episode that there's plenty of other Imperial Remnant out there besides just Moff Gideon, so. Um, there's still a lot more they can do with Din and Grogu and continuing that story. And I'm sure with him hunting down remaining Imperial remnants is going to just lead in nicely to the eventual movie we're going to get uh, that Dave Filoni yeah. doing, which obviously is going to all point to Thrawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I couldn't help but think like, oh, this is, you know, season four of Mando is going to be Rangers of the New Republic. And instead of Cara Dune, it's going to just be him. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good point too. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, if that's the way they want to go with it, that definitely works. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that because I think, I think it's going to be smart for them to go back to just focusing on Din and Grogu. I'm, I'm glad that Din got a lot of the focus in this last episode. Um, and Grogu yeah. as well, because it, mm -hmm. like, I wouldn't say for the first time this season, but it really is one of the, the major moments in this season where it really kind of spotlights the relationship between the two of them. Um, and where Din gets to kind of take the spotlight and do his thing. Um, cause he has kind of been overshadowed a little bit this season by like Bo-Katan and the armor and all these other characters that we've been focusing on. And I haven't necessarily complained about that. I know, you know, there've, there've been some people that have been pretty vocal about like, oh, this isn't even Din's show anymore. And, you know, pe some people were unhappy with it. Um, and I think for this season, it was sort of necessary to tell the story of Mandalore. I almost see it as kind of just the show going through like growing pains in a way, where like once you introduced the Darksaber and other Mandalorians and all this kind of stuff, it was almost like they had to go this route. Mm -hmm. And because the story was never really going to be about Din being the one to wield the Darksaber and unite Mandalore and become this ruler. Um, you know, I mean, we thought that might happen when he got the Darksaber, but it was always kind of hard to see that for him just because like that wasn't who he was. So I think, and we talked about too, you know, they could have made him like an Aragorn or Jon Snow, like reluctant king type character who um you know becomes the best person for that leader position because he doesn't want it and he has no you know no ambitions of power or anything like that um but clearly that wasn't the direction that they wanted to take it and so you had to to spend more time establishing these characters of like Bo-Katan and the armor and Paz Vizsla and kind of have all these other major players and then focus more on Moff Gideon and uh even um uh, Alia Kane and, you know, the New Republic guys and all that. And so even though this season felt like it was taking away from uh, Mando a little bit, I feel like the first couple seasons we had like started to establish some of this stuff and kind of teased it a little bit. And this was the season where it was like, okay, now we really got to dive in and flesh all of that stuff out to really kind of give more world building and more context to all of this, you know, kind of stuff that's going on in the wider galaxy and outside of just the Din and Grogu story. And I feel like because of that, now when you go into season four, like they have a bigger sandbox to play in where you can get back to stories that just focus on the two of them, but they can, uh, you know, it, there's, there's just like more of the backdrop filled in. They can do stuff with the Mandalorians, with the new Republic, with grief on Navarro. And we just kind of have more context for everything that's going on there. Um, and for other shows as well. I mean, I feel like, you know, season two, um, they kind of did a lot of the world building and expanding just by introducing new characters. And, you know, they introduced like Boba Fett and Ahsoka and uh, Bogatan, and then, of course, Luke at the end. Um, 
and then spun some of those characters off into their own shows and things like that. And now it, it's almost like they did the same thing this season, but just with more of like the the political landscape of the galaxy and more of the Empire and the New Republic and stuff. And so now they can carry some of that stuff into these other shows as well. Um, and like I said, just kind of have more of that sandbox to play in and more more context around these events and stuff. Um, and I feel like now that they've done that and also, you know, finished off this big story arc of, of Din um, just kind of being one of many Mandalorians that's, that's trying to help take back their home world. Now they can get back to focusing on just that Din and Grogu relationship. And I'm really excited to see uh, what they do next season and, you know, what kind of adventures those two go on with, you know, sort of being able to play with all this new stuff that they've introduced over the last few seasons. So, um yeah, I was happy with it, with where it ended on that note. And it just made me even more excited for a, for, you know, for Ahsoka and for all these other shows now too, that are connected to this. Again, I feel like we have kind of a, a bigger view of this corner of the the timeline in the universe and thinking about other stories that could be told here, but also just thinking about where Din and Grogu can go from here and just being excited to see uh, the two of them again, you know, kind of get back to the folk, that being the focus of the story. I think it's going to be really cool going forward. Yeah, without question, and the relationship and almost the partnership that we saw with Din and Grogu in this episode was really the standout. It just obviously we know they've established this great bond, this father and son bond, but kind of seeing them work together as partners for the first time here in action that was just great to see. I know we'll get into the specifics, but that was just one of the things I loved about it. And moving forward, hopefully to see more of that in season four and beyond has me really excited as well because if you remember going back to our discussions during season two we're just wondering uh what was going to become of grogu taking or even also too during the book of boba fett uh where what was Go grogu's path going to be more of a jedi more of uh, the mandalorian a good combination of both and i think we're kind of going to be leaning more towards that combination of both um and because I, I want to say even earlier back, maybe even season one, when we first got uh, the reveal of Grogu and seeing how Din, him and Din was going to have that father and son relationship, where I was thinking just how cool it was going to be to kind of see a Mandalorian have a Force-sensitive child with not very much training and just seeing how he would adapt to that moving forward. And I was kind of excited about that idea of how maybe if they don't decide to have to give Grogu any Jedi training that might make for some interesting story storytelling. I was seeing how Din copes with that. And we got a little, we got, we got the majority of that in season one, but now that Grogu has had a little bit of training um, by Luke and has able to tap in and harness his force abilities a little bit, that just makes the dynamic even stronger, I think between them. And also to striking that balance between him being a Mandalorian as well as a Jedi, not kind of fully abandoning uh, the way of the Jedi, at least, his ability with the force and how that's still going to be coming to play with him. So despite having very limited training with Luke, I just like how he's striking that nice balance uh, with Grogu so far with it. So, and this having that continue down the line in future seasons and future stories um, is one of the main things I was excited about what the season finale showed, how cool that was going to be between the two of them. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, they showed this a little bit throughout the season, but it was really emphasized here, like how much Grogu really has grown since the beginning of the series and how much his time with Luke did make an impact on him. And, you know, we clearly see a lot of growth there and it kind of gives more credence to, you know, we talked about uh, John Favreau in interviews kind of alluding to the fact that 
it was it's supposed to have been a couple of years since mm-hmm. the end of Mando season two, and you really didn't get the sense of that much passage of time. I mean, I could tell that the whole reason they included that the Din and Grogu story in Book of Boba Fett was to make it feel like some time passed and that they were apart for some amount of time um, before bringing them back together again this season. Um, it didn't quite feel like two years, but just seeing Grogu's growth in, um, you know, obviously he still doesn't talk and, you know, he's still a kid, but like, even from just his expressiveness and sort of his, you know, taking a little bit more agency as a character, Mm -hmm. um, and making his own decisions in certain instances, but also definitely like the growth of his force powers and stuff. It's like, oh, I could maybe see a little bit more why it's plausible that, he was training with Luke for two years because like, this is a big difference. Um, yeah. I just you know, even he, like how in the beginning, if we didn't see him like move out with the other Mandalorians and Bo-Katan and just, he just went on his own to rescue Din. I was going into it thinking like, okay, they're going to set up this plan to rescue Din, like Grogu, Bo-Katan. And, but maybe Grogu is ends up, Grogu's ends up someone who's really ends up saving Din, but he just left on his own just to go uh, rescue him. Just again, taking that initiative that, uh, we saw him build towards the beginning of the season and obviously uh, really do so in this finale. But even right then and there, just an example of that, just him taking the initiative and just being more involved in making his own decisions. Yeah. And I feel like they struck a really good balance too there of like making it plausible where, you know, you didn't have this baby in a robot suit coming in and just wrecking all these elite stormtroopers. Yeah. Like he wasn't a one man wrecking crew. Um, but he also wasn't bumbling around and getting in people's way and just, you know, being comic relief. Like he was helping out in sort of small, but very meaningful ways. Um, and it also, I mean, that kind of showed you too, like what a good team he and Din can be going forward on their adventures, (laughs) especially later on, you know, once they get separated from off Gideon and, you know, the, um, the Praetorian guards are going after Grogu and Din grows, goes in to rescue him. And the two of them, you know, fighting the Praetorian guards together, like, I'm that like, was man, these two, to, these two together are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Um, you know, with obviously, Din, yeah, right? Like, uh, Din's already formidable fighting skills. And then when he's, again, like, Grogu is very powerful with the force, but he's still not quite at the point that he's just going to be, like, totally demolishing enemies like Luke did, you know, against all those dark troopers. But when you combine the two of them together, and when Din is you know, up against an enemy that's just a little bit too much for him, having Grogu aid him with the force is just the thing that, you know, puts him over the top and it's going to allow him to win that fight. So, um, yeah, it was really cool to see the two of them working together like that. And again, just seeing, um, like, how much more skilled Grogu is in his use of the force too and how much, like, how much more controlled he is and how much more he can sort of sustain it. Because in season one, we saw him do some, you know, he would, like, lift the mud horn and you're like, oh my gosh, this baby is really powerful with the force because he can lift this huge monster. And then, you know, but he does it for a few seconds just long enough for Din to kill him and then he passes out. Um, and same, you know, in in the season one finale when the uh, the flame trooper comes in, and shoots the flamethrower at him and Grogu uses the force to hold the flames back and then, uh, you know, pushes it back on the trooper and then passes out right after that. Um, and then you compare it to this episode where like he's helping Din fight all the Praetorian guards and then they go up against Moff Gideon and he uses the force to pull, uh, you know, to, to knock Moff Gideon's electrostaff out of his reach. 
Um, and then, of course, the cruiser comes crashing down and creates the massive explosion. And Grogu, you know, uses the force to shield himself and uh, Din and Bo-Katan. And that was kind of a nice callback because it was a very similar visual to him blocking the flames of that flame trooper. But it was, you know, so much more fire, you know, and so much of a just a bigger explosion um, that, you know, and he's creating just this protective bubble around all of them. And then even at the end of that, you know, he kind of like slumps down a little bit, but he didn't like pass out and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing that he's becoming a lot stronger, um, has a lot more kind of stamina and control over his use of the force. Um and that him and Din are just, you know, just work together really well. I freaking loved when, uh, and and we can kind of go back to the beginning of that Moff Gideon fight. Like, there's a lot there to talk about. But when it's, when he's fighting Bo-Katan and he destroys the Darksaber and is kind of gloating about how, like, oh, you Mandalorians are useless without your trinkets. And she says, no, Mandalorians are stronger together. And Din and Grogu come back in after defeating the Praetorian Guards and help her fight Moff Gideon. And, um... Like the way the three of them are working in tandem and even Grogu, like when the, the shot where he does the little knee slide, just yeah. like did in Bogotan do, it was so freaking cool. And that then, um, yeah, so like good. I said, like, you know, using the force to uh, to take away Moff Gideon's staff and everything like it's just it was really well done because, again, it could have been a scenario where a like you could have used him. As I mean, as much as I love Jar Jar, you know, you, you could have gone the Jar Jar Binks route where he's just kind of bumbling around in the middle of it and it's cute and funny. Or you could have made him like overpowered and have him defeat Moff Gideon by himself. But, you know, the fact that like, yeah, this is still a kid and he can only do so much, but also like he's trained with Luke Skywalker and he's very powerful in the force and he can help out in meaningful ways. Like they just made it so that they made a really good team. And it was uh, it was just cool to see them working together like that. It was cool to see just how much Grogu has grown and developed. And it's, it's cool seeing him grow from just kind of this cute baby that, you know, took the internet by storm and was kind of just a plot device for season one. Like he was kind of the MacGuffin that like everybody was after to seeing him more and more growing into his own character. is just really cool. Yeah, man, that all the action sequences with Din and Grogu, then later on with Bo-Katan making a great uh, trio of fighters against Moff Gideon. It was just so cool to see. I loved every second of that. And I mean, in the Book of Boba Fett finale, Din and Boba made a great tag team taking down <laughs> all the Pike Syndicate um, in, in that sequence. But now Din and Grogu as a tag team <laughs> taking on the Petroleum Guards is almost right up there. This how great it was seeing them work together. It was just so it all goes back just to knowing where it all started with them too. Just Grogu being a job for Din to take. And uh, but when he first saw him, he saved his life shooting IG-11 from terminating the asset, as he said, as that was his orders. And then just from the beginning, just viewed as a job, but growing attached to him just before he even took him back to Navarro. And obviously when he rescued him um, from Navarro and they went into hiding a little bit in season two, trying to get him to Luke and the goodbye. And just all that stuff just adds to how great the sequence was seeing them uh, work together as father or son and how that would be kind of an official title for them now as we saw in the ending which i'm sure we'll talk about but yeah just the high one of the highlights of this episode just was seeing grogu and din um work together in tandem it, in such a beautiful way it was just amazing to see and it just brought up so many good points is how uh, there's different ways you could have went about it but they just struck the perfect balance of making it work it seemed believable how they were able to 
defeat some very formidable formidable opponents so um that they were going up against between the Praetorian guards and moff gideon but it all played out and made perfect sense it just was an absolute blast to behold as we're seeing um the action unfold um towards the end of this finale here and it's type of this the type of stuff that you expect to get in a finale that you, just delivers at least on the action standpoint just some big stuff that you haven't really seen before and i mean, maybe not be being huge in scale when we're just seeing a few characters um fighting against each other but it, it's the characters that we are seeing work together that makes it very feel very big and just makes you cheer and fist bump <laughs> as you're watching it so yeah it was just a great culmination um so far that we've seen with these characters yeah definitely um and yeah, I mean, let's talk. Well, I guess because we can kind of go further back to, um, I don't know, what specific points should we talk about first? I was going to go back we, to talk more about that Moff Gideon fight. And then I'm like, well, there's more stuff leading into yeah. that that we can kind of hit on first. Let's talk about first uh, Dent's escape because just going back real quick, just speculating about what was going to go down in this finale. And I'll just say right off the bat, all the speculations I had for this season, as everyone has heard throughout the course of our episodes talking about it, I was pretty much wrong on all of them except for one. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I am not upset about that in the slightest. But um, one of the things I was anticipating for this finale, as we heard in the last episode where Gideon told the super commando troopers to take him to the debriefing room, I thought we were just kind of going to cut there already, where we already see Din there. There's going to be... Um, some dialogue and interaction between him or Gideon. I thought maybe this is the armorer was going to show up and reveal she's the spy and the traitor. Just like some big stuff was going to go down or Din was going to be tortured. So when I saw him first take down those troopers and escape, uh, I was surprised. Like, oh man, he's already um, going to make it out and not be taken to that debriefing room. So, and by the way, too, the, the fight choreography for Din in this episode was awesome and just as great as it ever been. Um, he was doing some really cool acrobatic moves that we haven't really seen him do before, and it looked great, mm -hmm. especially when especially he's some of those like spinning kicks. Yes, mm -hmm. that was so cool. Um, but yeah, I was surprised that he that we saw him make his escape or uh, get away from the troopers so early on. But um, I guess it's one of those things where he couldn't spend too much time on that, especially as it was leading up to the big confrontation um, between him and Gideon. I just like too how it was something that he wanted to do, where he just realizes, I mean this is going to continue unless we take down Moff Gideon here. And he was just dead set on making that happen where they weren't going to leave until he faced Gideon one last time. And I liked how too, again, going back to him and Grogu's relationship, just having Grogu go along with him. He wasn't saying, I need you to go back to Bo-Katan. I'm going to face Gideon. It's not going to be safe for you. But no, he just goes, I need you to be brave. And he just explains how they need to take down Moff Gideon. I just thought that was great that just right then and there, um, him and Grogu were going to go, on this quest uh, together to take down Gideon. So I just liked how it was one of those things I was surprised about how, how we were going to pick up right away with Din and just setting up for that eventual confrontation. But I just loved all the lead up to that and how uh, he made his escape, how Groku helped him with that escape, and then how the two of them set out to face Moff Gideon. I just loved how it began that way. Yeah, it was cool. It was definitely one of those things that caught me off guard too, because like you said, I was, um, I wasn't like, I didn't think that Din was going to die in this episode. But again, that question was there of like, could they? And even, you know, if not, like you thought that things were going to get kind of dire for him. You know, you thought they were going to, you know, torture him or interrogate him or something like that. And um, 
yeah, just seeing him getting escorted down the hallway by just two troopers. And then he, you know, manages to, to start fighting his way out of it. And then Grogu comes and helps him. I was just kind of like, oh, this is how we're starting it. Okay. Um, and again, I mean, that was kind of just the beginning of it being a much more sort of lighthearted finale than we were expecting. But um, there's definitely a cool action sequence there. Um, and then, yeah, of course, that moment where he's like, yeah, let's go get Gideon. Um was pretty awesome. So, um, yeah. And then of course we get the unexpected, uh, inclusion of R5 coming down yeah. and, uh, you know, hacking into the base and he's like getting arrested by mouse droids. And that was like, <laughs> you know, the fun, silly, goofy part of the episode that honestly, and you know, my feelings about R5's inclusion in this season. And it was one of those things where at the beginning, I was like kind of rolling my eyes, like, wait, this is where we're going. And honestly, by the end of it, I was fine with it. I thought it was a, a fun little sequence. I mean, the mouse droids were kind of goofy. Like the fact that one caught him and then left and it didn't like alert some stormtroopers or something. It just came back with more <laughs> mouse droids that were just bumping up against him. It's like, what the heck is this going to do? These things are useless. Um, but it was kind of cool the way that, um, you know, that didn't had him hack into the base and, uh, you know, then they get to, you know, the area leading to Moff Gideon's communication center and he's having them like deactivate the laser walls one at a time. And then Din's going yeah. through and just taking out the troopers two by two and like each time gaining a new weapon. Cause at first he has to go in <laughs> yep. barehanded just using like his martial arts skills and, you know, gets a knife from one of the troopers. And then he uses that knife to take out the next two. And then he takes their stun baton and then a shield and then a blaster. It was almost like a, you know, like a video game, um, you know, like one of those challenge levels where you have to defeat waves of enemies with like limited resources <laughs> or something like that. So um I liked how yeah, too that, where that ended up being pretty cool. I like too in that moment where he threw the knife of that one trooper in the neck and he fell. But right before that trooper fell, he tried to grab the gun from his hand but didn't get it in time and had to move on to the next one. Just oh see, I thought he was I thought he was trying to grab the knife back before the trooper fell, but at um, least uh, at least that's how I saw it as because I believe the trooper still had his blaster on him. I thought that's what he was going for. But either way, it was kind of a nice little detail it was for it. It's some little small where he, he knows he has no weapon and he's going to need one. And even though he took one out, he has to try to get it. But yet, in the realistic sense, he wasn't able to because he tro the trooper fell too fast for him to do that. He had to make do with getting someone else's weapon. But still, this, that was a great active sequence too. Just as you mentioned, it did have that video game feel to it as you're trying to make your way against these opponents with different weapons and picking the items up as you go. So just, again, a cool... This episode featured a lot of unique battle and action sequences um, that we haven't seen too much of or any of in this series so far, and even Star Wars in general, which we'll get to the big one <laughs> later on. But I, that was just another great thing about this finale. Just kind of be very creative in its action sequences. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I always love, too, when they throw in those little touches of, like, you know, when Din is reaching for the knife or the blaster or whatever as the guy is falling and he's like oh wait shoot i see i took it as the knife because it's like it's like he throws the knife and kills the trooper but then he's like oh wait i need that back as the trooper is like falling into the abyss and um i just love those little moments where they you know as much as din is a, a great fighter and he gets to do all these this really cool action stuff like those little moments where they kind of humanize him and remind you that like he's not perfect and like he's not a jedi like you know, and sometimes he gets his butt kicked or like he makes mistakes or, you know, he'll be doing all this cool stuff. But, you know, he's not like perfect at the end of the day. So that was just a fun little touch. Um, 
But then, of course, they make their way through all the troopers. They get to, uh, you know, the hallway leading to the communication center where Gideon has all his clones. Um, and they do indeed confirm, you know, kind of what we talked about last episode, um, you know, just putting all that stuff together that, like, Gideon was indeed trying to create an army of force sensitive clones of himself um, and give them Beskar armor because, you know, he's that much of a narcissist that he thinks the best way for to create order in the galaxy is just to make more of me and put them all in charge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was cool to like finally get that confirmation. Um, you know, because these were questions we had going all the way back to season one, like what does the empire want with Grogu and what kind of experiments are they doing on him? And it, at the time it seemed like, you know, maybe we'll never get the full answers. And we were kind of left to speculate, like, is this just stuff with the empire leading up to Snoke or are they doing something else? Um, and it's cool to get, you know, kind of be able to put those pieces together between these last two episodes that it's like, yes, it does have to do with Snoke and Palpatine and Project Necromancer and that Gideon is part of that and that the the other Imperials like Hux um, were expecting him to deliver on Pershing's research and give them stuff that could help out with that. But then Gideon was also doing stuff on his own because he kind of didn't see eye to eye with those guys or thought that he would be a better leader than Thrawn or whoever else. Um, and kind of secretly had his own ambitions, which is like always the downfall of Imperials, right? Like when they get too ambitious and try to break away from the group and, um, you know, then yeah. getting in their <laughs> own way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised, but not surprised to, you know, see these guys in the flesh, you know, a whole, a whole row of tanks of, you know, Gideon clones, this was one of the things in the episode that I thought was a little bit of a disappointment, though, is like I was hoping that once we got that revealed, that it would kind of play into the story a little bit. The fact that it was revealed and then Din just presses some buttons on a console and blows up all the tanks and that's it. It was like, you know, three seasons of wondering where this was leading all for it to, you know, not really lead to anything. Um now, at the same time, seeing like a full army of Moff Gideon clones fighting, you know, would have maybe been a little goofy. Um, and so it's like, I'm not sure what the the right balance is there. Like, but I, I kind of wish it had had a chance to be a little bit more of a threat um, or to have maybe some of the kind of like season two when, uh, you know, it was like you had kind of a ticking clock there, right? Because Gideon told them to activate the Dark Troopers. And but it was like it took a second, it, it took a minute for them to power up. And so when Din gets to the cargo bay and, uh, you know, is working the panel or whatever to like eject the dark troopers out into space, um, he's like racing against time because they're trying to break through the door and come get him. Um, and he has to do it before they're activated. And then one of them gets through that he does have to fight and then he manages to, to suck the rest out into space. Whereas you know, if he, this is like, if he got there and the dark troopers were just sitting there and he sucked them all into space and they were never really a threat. That's kind of what this felt like. Mm -hmm. um, there was the one that like woke up and opened its eyes, but it was like, it's still stuck in a tank. Like it's not going to do anything. So yeah. I wish that they had found a way to kind of tie them into the story a little bit um, and make them more of a threat and make it kind of more urgent rather than just be like, Oh, here's the answer. Here's what Gideon wanted the clones and Grogu's midichlorians and all this stuff for this whole time. And we're going to blow it up. Um, so I, I wish that uh, that they had done that a little bit differently, but I don't know. Yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from with that. Um, but at the same time, I think we are still 
like the effects of Gideon's research and him able to do these clones, I think will tie in or play a factor into the development of either Snoke and Palpatine as later on, as we see in the sequel trilogy, because I also, I, I get the feeling too, that Gideon did him. He was hoping obviously to make an army of himself that uh, was for, that had the force. And I like how he said that, like he pretty much has everything he needs except the force. <laughs> and that's what he was trying to achieve. But um, it didn't sound like for sure that he didn't know if the clones, if that actually worked with these clones, obviously he didn't have the chance to fully test it out um, as did destroyed them all before they were able to awake. But I wonder if they were even, if his plan even worked for them to be able to use the force or if there was still some complications that um, couldn't be perfected or at least realized until we get to uh, the events with uh, Palpatine creating Snoke and then his other clone body. Um, but I wonder if it's because obviously we all speculated that this was going to lead into the or tie in into the eventual creation of Snoke and Palpatine um, in the sequel trilogy. But it, I think this more of the surprise was is that yeah, Gideon kind of went on in his own and did it to all for himself for him to create in his eyes, the ultimate army, which again, as we talked about in the last episode, it just fits perfectly with his character. It makes total sense for that's would be the way he wants to go. And even though he, he tried it and ultimately failed, I think his research will be picked up down the line by others, either in the remnants of the empire, or maybe once uh, it actually becomes the first order. And that's really where they're able to, or Palpatine's able to use, or in his followers are able to use that technology and his research that he did and perfect it to create an actual clone being that could use the force first being with Snoke. And then eventually uh, with an actual clone of Palpatine's body. So even though this is kind of the end of, what Gideon wanted to do for himself and his plan dating all the way back to season one. Um, I think we'll still see the effects of his work and his efforts be used in other areas um, later on down the line. But um, it was great to kind of see this uh, fulfilled or not fulfilled, but just kind of see everything that was built up in season one, as far as first thinking it was the empire that wanted this and then knowing it was Gideon and then Gideon wanted for himself. And it all led to this moment here. And it's just a great motivation for his character as a villain to want to do this. And I don't know, maybe it would have been cool to see uh, those clones actually wake up and see him in action. Maybe it probably would have been awesome if they all had his uh, Mandalorian armor that he's wearing in his outfit. So mm -hmm. maybe if you're not seeing a bunch of, uh, clones with Gideon's face in action, but you see him with the helmets on, it wouldn't look goofy. So that could have been a way to go about it. Um, but again, I still think, for me personally anyway, it was something that was like the first full test of the see if it worked, but I don't think it would have been successful with them uh, using the Force. I believe that wasn't achieved until Snoke was made. So, um, But it all probably started, or at least the big um, way to get this research as he did with Dr. Pershing began here um, as we saw in The Mandalorian, and then its effects uh, will play a factor later on down the line. At least that's how I'm looking at it towards now. I think we'll still see um, the threads of this uh, story of what Gideon did with the cloning technology and how that will eventually lead to the development with Snoke. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much of that we see over the course of some of these other shows. And if we see more of like Brendel Hux and, and kind of get more into the development of Project Necromancer, because at this point, like we know where that goes. Um, and we certainly could see more of it. Um, but I mean, at this point, I think, you know, this already kind of satisfies the, um, you know, more like this is giving us more of an explanation than they did in, in Rise of Skywalker. But when they mentioned like uh, cloning and dark science and stuff, it's like we're seeing that stuff here. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so even if we never see this stuff again or hear mention of Dr. Pershing again or anything like that, I think we have enough context to know like, oh, this is, you know, Gideon was getting this stuff, passing it on to the rest of the empire. And that's what they were using it for was the eventual creation of Snoke and then the return of Palpatine and all that. But, um, you know, with establishing him as kind of wanting to do his own stuff and him being kind of the main threat to just to Mandalore and having his own ambitions to like wipe out the Mandalorians and create his own army and stuff. Um, yeah, I would have liked to see, again, just it to, to present itself as a little bit more of a threat, not even necessarily to see all these clones using the force and stuff like that. But um, again, maybe even to just have a threat of like Gideon starting to activate them or the clones all like waking up and trying to break out of the tanks um or even you know it, it, i also thought it was weird like uh you know when din presses the button and just like the fluid starts draining out of the tanks because even like i was watching it with my wife and she was it was like a couple scenes later when gideon starts screaming at him about it and she's like oh wait are they all dead because it wasn't really uh obvious right off the bat like is he destroying the tanks or is this the tanks opening and the clones coming out? It was kind of clear to me at first. I was like, I think he's supposed to be destroying them. And that's why everything's kind of like bursting out. But, you know, he could have like set some explosives or something and it maybe would have been a little bit more. Um, I don't know, a little bit more clear what was going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, for all the, uh, you know, Moff Gideon's sort of scheming and everything to try to make this happen, it was just kind of a bit of an anticlimactic end to that particular threat and that particular plot line, I felt like. But um, still was cool to get the full reveal of, like, what it was that he was working on. And then, yeah, like you said, like, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of um, just kind of the implications of this and what the rest of the Empire is doing with it. So, and besides, there can only be one Grand Clone Army, and that's the Grand Army of the Republic, so. Well, true. <laughs> now, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, there were maybe, what, like, 10, 15, 20 of these cloning tanks, so that's not exactly an army. Um, I'm sure that was his goal, though. I mean, that, this was just the first step towards that. Oh, sure, but I also wonder, like, was that all of them? Was, you know, was more of this research maybe mm -hmm. taking place in other places? Could there maybe be other Moff Gideon clones out there? Um, was the one they're fighting at the end a clone? I don't know. Right. <laughs> well, and yeah, that's interesting because, um, well, we'll we'll save that because we'll, we'll talk about the, yeah. uh, kind of talk more about the fight and stuff. Um of course, meanwhile, as all this is going on, you know, Bogotan and the Mandalorians, you know, they escape, they kind of briefly go into hiding in these underground caves, and then they see that there's life growing there, um, which was a nice little touch to see, you know, on the, you know, just the absolutely obliterated surface of Mandalore from the war with the Empire and everything that, you know, even underneath, like not far below the surface, there's already um, new life that's able to grow and stuff. And it's kind of this moment of like, Bogatan realizing that there is still something to fight for and that, you know, that her people can have a future on this planet. Um, and then right after that, you get the armor saying, you know, Lady Kreese, your reinforcements have arrived and we see all the Mandalorian ships coming down with everybody that's, uh, you know, evacuated from the um, from the fleet. That was another thing that I was maybe hoping for a little bit more from like when when all the ships go up to the fleet and like Axe is able to get there first. Um, and warn them all to evacuate, which had me kind of questioning. I'm like, how far can they fly on these jetpacks? Because, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, on, on the planet where they had their base before, back in, you know, episode three or four or whatever that was, um, where the kid gets captured and they're chasing after, like, the, the 
uh, raptor or whatever that took him. And they all run out of fuel after flying for like a few miles or something. But Axe can fly from underground all the way up into space with no problem. Um, you see, uh, we're actually talking with uh, about that with uh, some family we watch, as we watched it where I, I took the reasoning where I, I think I'll have to watch the episode four again. But if I remember right, the editing of it, it seems like we didn't know how long they were flying for by the time it cut to where we saw them running out of fuel. So maybe they have been flying for a while to chase the bird and we just didn't see it. But then it's another very point, possible. Then another thing too, this is what my brother mentioned as we were watching it where, or talking about this, where at that point where um, Paz Vizsla's son was captured, they weren't prepared to be flying for a very while. So maybe the jetpacks were, weren't pretty high on full fuel there. They didn't have time to refuel it. But here... Knowing they were going into battle, they had their jetpacks all nice and fueled up to the fullest and ready to go. And that's why he was able to make it all the way up there. So that's how I'm thinking. It's possible. But I also couldn't help but think of like Iron Man where he flies up into the atmosphere and, you know, starts freezing and like the Uh electronics stop working and stuff. And I'm like, really, we're just going from planet to upper atmosphere to space. And like, there's no... you know, no freezing or no like burning up on re-entry or like any of this stuff. It was just one of those things where it's like, okay, like you, you kind of can't think too hard about the science of it. Um, but it was like, okay, sure, whatever. Axe flies all the way up there, gets into the ship, tells everybody to evacuate. And, um, you know, they all get to the the gauntlet ships and everything and fly down. And then it's like they they fly down through the clouds. And then a second later, all the TIE interceptors and bombers and stuff fly right up like from the exact same direction. And I was like, how did you not like fly into each other? Um, (laughs) When you very easily could have had them come out like a little bit further away, like from a different section of the clouds or something to make it look like they were coming from a different angle or something. But they literally like the Mandalorian ships went down and then the Imperial ships came back up out of the same spot. And I'm like, y'all didn't see each other. Um, And as much as it was cool to see Axe, um, you know, kind of take him in and like be willing to make the heroic sacrifice. Obviously he didn't end up dying, but um, you know, to use the ship as a decoy and take out as many of the sh- the, the Imperial ships as he could. I kind of was hoping to see like more of a battle between all the, you know, that whole Mandalorian fleet and all these um, Imperial ships and see like some dog fighting and stuff. Um, and then also, um, you know, Axe takes over, you know, takes control of the cruiser, everybody else gets out. And then he starts like, manning you know commandeering the turrets and stuff and like he's shooting down a few of the fighters um but then you know the next thing we see a few minutes later is the ship like burning falling out of the sky and we don't see the rest of the imperial ships and i was like are we just meant to assume that he took them all out because we didn't see that or like are they still up there and we're just not going to address that there's still you know an imperial attack squadron above the planet or something so i would have liked to see a little bit more of that again i'm sure that you know, I mean, this episode was so action-packed. I'm sure they could only do so much with, like, the effects budget and everything. And maybe there was some stuff they didn't have time to get to. But, um, yeah, I would have liked to see the uh, the aerial action a little bit more with, uh, you know, just the fleet sequence and stuff. And, again, that was another one of those things where we were thinking, like, all oh, this isn't going to end well. Um, and, obviously, like, you know, my prediction of, you know, the New Republic coming in and getting a space battle with some X-Wings and stuff, that didn't end up happening. But I I was assuming that um, we were at least going to see a little bit more of a dire situation and maybe see them take some more losses um, with that fleet coming up to ambush them. But uh, I don't know. I guess that was just one of the things that they, uh, you know, chose not to focus on as heavily. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going back to the beginning of for when uh, Axe was making his way up there and goes onto the ship, I thought, oh, this is he's going to go onto the ship. He's going to try to warn the Mandalorians. He's going to find out that they're already dead, and then the armorer is going to be the one to show her true colors. But that didn't happen. It's like, okay, I mean, I think it's time to finally get off my armorer as a spy or going to be the bad guy um, speculation at that point. But um, it was still a cool sequence, though, because I get what you're saying, how I was kind of thinking of it, too, where we're going to see. I thought maybe even this finale was going to be more uh, space battle action oriented, more so than ground battle. Um, but that wasn't the case. But I still got to say, though, even we got some amazing cool shots of the TIE fighters going up and taking down uh, that ship. I mean, Rick Femuewa did a great job in directing this entire episode, but I really like how he did this um, aerial battle here where it's just TIE fighters shooting down um, a cruiser and they're not doing any dogfights or anything like that. But it was still a lot of great, cool looking shots of just seeing them take down that cruiser and, um, Axe trying to shoot some down as well. Just a lot of great angles and views that we got of the TIE Fighters. So even though it wasn't necessarily a big uh, space battle that we might have been expected, I still think there were some really cool shots that we got in this. That made that added just to the overall great action of this episode, just a different aspect of that. Um, but I will say, um, for what we got later on, as far as action goes, I would make that trade for another space battle Um for what we got instead <laughs> because what we got was pretty incredible which i'm sure we'll get into very soon but i yeah, did like the little funny. bit we did get of seeing the tie fighters in action here yeah i feel like they keep teasing us a little bit more bit by bit like we see, like each season we see more tie fighters we see more x-wings and y-wings um you know we've got mando with his new starfighter we get you know we get like mandalorian gauntlet ships we get imperial light cruisers and i'm like i just can't wait for the day when we finally get like a big epic battle with all these ships involved maybe we're gonna have to wait till the movie for that um that's what i'm feeling right now (laughs) but maybe we'll see some of it next season with you know din now working for the new republic i'm sure we're gonna get some cool stuff in the ahsoka series like with hera and the ghost um oh yeah Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we only see her in the Phantom in the, the trailer, but you know we got to see the ghost in action and at least get some cool aerial sequences there. But maybe we will have to wait till the movie to get a full, like, fleet-on-fleet battle. Um, and then maybe we'll finally get something that, you know, lives up to at least the level of Rogue One or maybe even sur- surpasses that and we'll finally get, um, you know, maybe for the first time in 40 years, a space battle that lives up to uh, the one from Return of the Jedi. But... Um. yeah it's going to be cool when we finally do get to see that because it's one of those things where like the more they keep adding to it and the more they keep showing this stuff it's like they gotta you know just let them go at it mm-hmm. at some point um, and what's going to be great about that when we do get it like as you mentioned TIE Fighters X-Wing Y-Wings going at it and probably some Mandalorian gauntlets and then also too one Naboo Starfighter piloted by Din and Grogu <laughs> yep. amongst the action. That's going to be awesome. And, and the Ghost and Thrawn's Chimera Star Destroyer. And just, you know, it really is going to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's like when they talk about getting to make these shows, it's just them playing with Star Wars toys. Like it really is just going to be like seeing all your Star Wars toys on screen all at once. <laughs> and here we are already speculating and getting excited for a potential sequence in a movie like five or six years away so (laughs) it's never too early nope not at all especially when you already have some hints of where things could be leading in that direction so um but yeah and like i said the um 
you know, so all those Mandalorians evacuate. They're coming down on the ships. Bo-Katan and all the Mandalorians leave the caves. The armor's like, hey, I'm coming in with your reinforcements. And uh, all the Mandalorians, like, drop out of the gunships. They're, you know, Bo-Katan and her guys are flying in the air. The rest of them come in and kind of join them in this big formation. Um, and it was like an epic cavalry charge from, like, a medieval war movie where they're all riding across the battlefield on horses, except it was Mandalorians with jetpacks all, you know, flying <laughs> oh, through man. the sky, all headed back to retake their homeworld from Moff Gideon. And then, of course, the culmination of it, Bo-Katan ignites the Darksaber and all Amazing the Mandalorians, shot. you know, charge for it. It was an incredible shot. It really was like something out of Clone Wars. Yes. Um, <laughs> And remember, I mean, I've, I think I've talked about this more this season. I've talked about it since season one, where, like, it's been cool to see all these Mandalorians in action. But, like, in, in season one, just the level of, of action of the Mandalorians moving around and using the jetpacks and stuff was just, like, not on the same level as some of the stuff we saw in Clone Wars with, like, you know, those battles on Mandalore and stuff. And I was like, I'm sure, you know, starting off, they're kind of still figuring out what they're doing and don't have as big of an effects budget and stuff. But it would be really cool to see them kind of get to that level where they're just doing the sorts of aerial maneuvers and, you know, the really cool aerial combat stuff that we see them do in Clone Wars. And in this episode, they definitely got to that level. Oh, um, yeah. To have all these guys, you know, fly down into the chasm towards the Imperial base. And then you have all the stormtroopers with the jetpacks, you know, rocketing up to meet them. And then they just have this giant midair clash and blasters are flying, rockets are flying. Again, Bogatan's got the Darksaber and is just slicing people out of the air left and right. The armor with her hammer right next to her, just <laughs> hammering stormtroopers out of the air. And I was, I for one, never doubted her for a second. Um, <laughs> Uh, I might have, yep. I might have, I might have doubted her for a second here or there, but I was not coming into this with the expectation that the armor was going to be, um, you know, the spy or the traitor. Like I know she's, you know, she continues to be sort of mysterious, and sometimes it's hard to figure out what her motives are. But I never doubted that, like, she had, you know, the Mandalorian's best interest was her number one priority, and that she wouldn't betray her people. So. Um, yeah, to see her and Bogatan side by side just wrecking shop was just awesome. Yep, I was completely wrong about the armor. And at that moment, where it was like, yes, I mean, there's no way <laughs> after this is gonna have her be or reveal she was the, the spy or the bad guy. It was like, no, nope, she was full blown in hero mode here. And this that great kind of acknowledgement that her and Bo-Katan had was they were flying towards the battle and they just kind of they meet up and are side by side and they kind of give each other a look. I, I believe it's before she ignites the Darksaber or maybe it's right after, but I think it's before. Uh, but it was just a great kind of no dialogue, but just a great moment for them two as characters as they're both doing what they set out to go to achieve and that is liberate and take back Mandalore and they're on the cusp of that right here as they're going to go into battle. So that was just a great little moment for the two of them. But man, what a amazing action sequence we got i mean these two episodes delivered the goods on mandalorian and trooper action we got more of a ground-based battle with the mandalorians and the commando troopers going at it but now you take that up a level and have it all just be aerial combat i mean it was just mind-blowing that's stuff we've never seen in star wars before it looked fan-freaking-tastic i mean that the moment where you see both sides leading, building towards each other for that eventual clash. And when they do, I'm glad we stayed, stayed a few seconds on that shot of just utter chaos of mm -hmm. the troop, troops and Mandalorians going at it before we got into some close 
like POV shots and just focusing on certain characters taking out their enemies. But that moment where just all the clash and it was just crazy, it was just awesome <laughs> to see it. It just takes me this I couldn't help but remember back in the early days of the prequels or um might have been before episode one. Yeah, even before episode one came out. It was just all the speculation and the rumors of how George has hinted that we're gonna see Boba Fett you know, or Mandalorians in the prequels, and we know um, it's gonna uh start to not necessarily know exactly how George was gonna deal with the Clone Wars here, but you know that the Clone Wars were gonna be a story factor of the prequels and just how there were rumors and stuff about how we're going to see a Mandalorian, ar- ar- a Mandalorian army. They're going to be uh, the focal point of the clone of the Clone Wars, and just how my mind went crazy of seeing, wow, we're going to see a bunch of characters with some cool armor that we see on Boba Fett in action as we see stormtroopers in the original trilogy. That's going to be mind blowing to see, and yeah, we got that for in the Clone Wars, which made for some amazing action and animation, but the fact to see it in live action, it was almost like the fulfillment of those early days speculation um, for the prequels and just thinking about how amazing seeing a Mandalorian army in action could be. And this episode really nailed that. I just couldn't help but think of those those fun times speculating on uh, how cool Mandalorians could be um, seeing a whole army of them in battle and just how this episode just really captured on how it captured and delivered on those early fan expectations I had back then. So yeah, that was just a real geek out moment. I think that was the, or maybe one of few of the cheer moments Dave was uh, talking about in regards to the finale of how some fans are going to be cheering. So, cause yeah, I definitely was during that moment and that entire battle sequence. And just, I mean, it would have been awesome to focus entirely like, if the entire uh, finale action was just focused on the battle between the Mandalorians and the Super Commandos. But then you just, it bounces off between the um, fight between uh, Din, Bo-Katan, Grogu, and Moff Gideon. And that was great too. Like you didn't mind that the action went from one to the other because it was they were just both so engaging and just both so enthralling and just uh, visually just so... Uh, just a sight to behold as you're watching it. So just both of those are just, they just nailed it. This is the stuff you hope for in a big finale that uh, when it comes to the action beats anyway, um, it is, yeah, both of them just really delivered. But that Mandalorian versus the Super Commandos was just, boy, a Star Wars dream come true for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Like I said, it was like a, like an epic, like cavalry charge, but with Mandalorians, you know, going at it in midair was like, I think that's definitely got to be like the coolest action sequence of the entire series. Although maybe on an emotional level, I would still maybe go with like Luke against the dark troopers from season two, Mm -hmm. just because it's freaking Luke Skywalker. But in terms of just, you know, the scale and the effects and the action choreography and everything like this was definitely top tier. Um, and, you know, again, definitely lived up to the promise of all this stuff that we've been hinting at all along, all this buildup with the Empire and the Mandalorians and finally seeing them all come together and Bo-Katan uniting the clans and, you know, all this kind of stuff, um, and finally getting to retake their home. Like it was, it was, did not disappoint in the least. And what Um, made it great too, one thing that I forgot to mention too, is just from a story level too, um, is how their opponents are stealing their what makes mandalorians mandalorians their beskar armor their weapons their jetpack so they're going up against an enemy that's really stealing what 
as I said, this makes Mandalorians Mandalorians, their history, their culture, their religion, um, as Din Djarin says. Uh, but that's what they're going up against. That's what's at stake here of the not only this the planet Mandalore, but almost like the soul for Mandalore and of the Mandalorians, because they cannot let the Empire just make a mockery of their history and their beliefs and just uh, them as a people. If they were to they were to lose and then Gideon took control of Mandalore and just have this um this cheap imitation of what the Mandalorian history and the planet was just be this army that was everything was stolen from Mandalorian culture and used for evil. I mean, there was just more at stake here than just the Mandalorians taking back their planet from an enemy, but it's an enemy that's using their history and their culture uh, to rule it. And they just kind of let that happen. So that was just another added element. I thought that just made the battle just even that much more better. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, just having all that all that stuff involved in all those facets of it was great. Um, and it also, you know, just made an awesome backdrop, too, for Din's battle with Moff Gideon as they're fighting on this platform and you have this aerial battle going on behind them. Um, and it was cool, too. I mean, you mentioned sort of the, the cutting back and forth between all the different stuff going on. And I'm glad that, like, once the battle started, they didn't then just go and focus on uh, Din against Moff Gideon, like they kept cutting back to the battle and we got to see just some awesome stuff still happening up there with again, you know, Bogotan and the armor taking more guys out. Casca gets a really cool sequence where you see a couple of guys on her tail. And again, I'm wondering, I'm still kind of wondering at this point, like what's the, you know, you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like what's the the dark thing that's going to happen in this episode. And I was like, Oh, are we going to lose her? Like, you know, are, are we going to still lose somebody that we care about? And you're thinking like, maybe she's going to go down in this battle. And no, all she does is just do this like epic skid across this landing platform <laughs> to slow herself down so she can drop off the platform, turn around and take out, you know, the two guys chasing her with knee rockets. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, she got some really cool action <laughs> stuff in both of these last two episodes. Um, yeah, man. So it was, it was cool to see her get her moment to shine. Axe get his moment to shine with, uh, you know, taking down the cruiser and everything and uh, just getting to highlight all these different awesome Mandalorians was really fun. Yeah, that moment with Costco, that would have, I was watching it with a friend of mine. He was, uh, once he saw that happen, she did that. He just like threw his hands up in the air, just like, oh, how could this get any better? <laughs> Someone like, <laughs> like just being completely blown away by what we we're seeing. So, yeah, just all those little things that just, again, adds up to this incredible sequence uh, to see play out. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, the, the battle between Din and Moff Gideon was awesome as well, where, uh, you know, again, Gideon is kind of raging at him for destroying his clones and going off about his plan and everything. But he's suited up in his armor and, and you know, Din's going after him and they don't really have at first, neither of them really has weapons. Um, or I think maybe Din is like shooting at him with blasters at first and, you know, the blasters get knocked away, but you know, Gideon's got like wrist rockets and flamethrowers and stuff, but it's a lot of just like hand to hand stuff. Um, you know, really intense battle, but like Din is holding his own. So then of course, Moff Gideon's got to get help from the Praetorian guards and they come out and, um, you know, they got Din pinned down. Um, so then Grogu comes out and starts doing the no, no, no. And so then the Praetorians go after Grogu and, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of pushing him back into this hallway and the door closes and Din's trying to go after him and Moff Gideon's like shooting stuff at him to, to hold him back. Um, of course, 
I, we knew Grogu wasn't really in any danger. I'm like, if there was one person that was going to die in this episode, it for sure was not going to be Grogu. <laughs> nope. um, but so then I will Bo-Katan, say, I thought they were going to hint at like, kind of give a, a little fake out where he gets shot point blank in the chest or something like that. But we know he has his new set of armor there that would protect him. Oh, um, just yeah. to give you a little scare, maybe in case you forgot about that. Yeah, I mean. Well, I guess, you know, with the Praetorian guards going after him, they didn't have blasters anyways. But yeah, I mean, maybe that still would have been a little too dark to see Grogu getting shot. Um, but uh, yeah, then, of course, Bogatan comes down from the battle above and, you know, takes on Moff Gideon and she tells Din, go get your kid. And, uh, you know, Din goes and fights those guys. But again, we see that Grogu is, um, I guess, not quite holding his own in terms of like fighting back against the Praetorian guards, but at least surviving on his own, you know, they kind of cut down the IG 11 or the IG 12 mech suit and Grogu gets out and he's kind of running along the the rafters or whatever and doing his little flips and stuff. And, you know, kind of managing to hold him off um, until Din shows up. And, you know, again, that's where we get the really cool sequence of the two of them working in tandem and uh, between Din with the armor and the weapons and the fighting skills and then Grogu helping him with the force, like they were able to make a really great team. Um, and again, with just kind of having highlighted at the end of the last episode how formidable these guys are, you know, killing Paz Vizsla, who was, uh, you know, a really formidable Mandalorian warrior in his own right. Um you know, we know what these guys can do and that they they're no joke. And so to see Din and Grogu be able to take out three of them together um, was just, you know, it was a great moment. And like I said, just proves how great of a team they are and uh, just how great they're going to be going forward as Grogu continues to just grow and develop more and kind of hone his skills more. When the moment the Praetorian guards made their appearance again, I just said out loud, like, I, I rarely do this, like, actually say something aloud as I'm watching it. I just went, oh no, <laughs> like, is this <laughs> is this how Din's going to go out? Or at least they're going to play a part um, in uh, the end of Din Djarin. But um, because obviously we saw what they did to Paz and I was feeling better about, or feeling more hopeful that Din was going to make it out of this, um, seeing how he escaped um, the troopers earlier on. But once they showed up, I was like, oh, this, uh, this could lead to something bad, especially with Moff Gideon there, like the four of them going at it. Oh, I don't know how Din's going to get out of this one, <laughs> but um, I like how things played out here too. It just um, the fight with Din and Moff Gideon, it was just another cool aspect of it. And we're talking about this and hoping for it in the last episode, how we just got to see Moff Gideon in action wearing um, his Mandalorian outfit or armor with the helmet on. And Oh, of course. For pretty much the entire, this entire acting sequence, he had it on. I mean, once he put it on, he didn't, uh, did he take it off when? Uh, no, he didn't when Bo-Katan, when he was fighting Bo-Katan. He had it on the whole time. No, because he still has it on when he goes down in the explosion. Yeah, that's right. So the fact that he had it on the whole time just made it <laughs> even better. Just And I loved how his voice sounded um, with the helmet filter on there. Mm-hmm. Just, everything about it was cool. So, um, yeah, so that was great. And then again, that sense of dread and doom once those Praetorian guards uh, came about. And how even before they went after Grogu, Din, uh, he did better than Paz Vizsla did, but he probably wouldn't have been able to last very much longer until Grogu uh, stepped in. And that was one of those other moments was like, how's Grogu going to help here? Is he going to, this is like where he's really going to show off his force abilities and see things we haven't seen before. Um, is he going to do what Yoda did to the Imperial Guards and Revenge of the Sith and just toss him in <laughs> or something like that? But um, uh, I, again, just talking about, as we did earlier, just how 
great and natural it felt um, for that fight between Din and the Praetorian Guards and Grogu and just how well they work together and just how it made sense for both of them as characters using the abilities that um, they have and know at this level uh, of where they're at. It, it was just a beautiful thing to behold, seeing a Mandalorian and uh, can't necessarily say Jedi, but a Force user <laughs> uh, working together here and to take down some very uh, strong opponents um, with their abilities. So, yeah, just the, yeah. that actual I mean, sequence it, it does... build up to it. It does still kind of call back to what Ahsoka said, or I guess didn't said it to Ahsoka when he's like a Mandalorian and a Jedi. They'll never see it coming. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's God. That's a great callback. Yeah. So just because those Praetorian guards didn't see it coming. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, while we get that, and then we get uh, Bo-Katan engaging Moff Gideon with the Darksaber. Um, and he pulls out like a Magna Guard, like Electro Staff. Um and, you know, that was a great sequence as well, just, you know, with her getting some good swings in. And again, we see how much more proficient she is with the Darksaber than Din. And, you know, she really is going at it with this thing. Um, and that was just a, a great sequence as well. Um, you know, just some fun choreography. Cool to see, you know, the two of them in their armor. Like you said, just great to see a, a full-on action sequence with Moff Gideon in that armor. Um and going head to head with somebody wielding a lightsaber was just so freaking cool. And so to cut between that and, you know, Din and Grogu doing their thing and then all the aerial stuff going on with the other Mandalorians was just, uh, you know, it was, it was star Wars action at its finest. And of course, all the best star Wars action sequences always kind of have those multi layers to it too. Right. Where it's mm -hmm. like, um, you know, like the battle of Endor, you're cutting back and forth between the ground battle and the space battle and the lightsaber battle. So, um, to have it kind of be multifaceted like this and cutting back between all these cool conflicts and all these characters that we care about was just, uh, it was, it was peak star Wars. Yeah. I mean, it was firing all cylinders when it got to this uh, part of the episode with the acts, the action that we were seeing as we talked about, and then all culminating into this, uh, final moment, uh, with between Din, Bo-Katan, Grogu and Moff Gideon that we see. But, um, uh, before that happens, a pretty, eventful moment happened <laughs> with the Darksaber um, with Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon and the one prediction I got right <laughs> as I was yep. expecting maybe uh, to happen but um, it, I don't know it didn't happen the way I was expecting it to be or at least the reaction um, from Bo-Katan um, with Moff Gideon just holding on to her, her hand and just crushing it and to be fair though it could probably be rebuilt from that <laughs> if they wanted to. It doesn't. Yeah. It wasn't totally destroyed. Cause I was maybe thinking it would be more like something um, where either like Moss Gideon kind of does, he kind of does it here like to mock them, but I thought like he would take it from her and kind of show that he has possession of it again, but then to kind of add insult to injury, he would destroy it and just kind of show him just how utterly pointless it is. And he still makes that point, as you mentioned earlier, him calling it like, you know, the Mandalorians and their trinkets. Um, but I thought Bo-Katan would have had more of a reaction, just kind of being more upset and shocked, like just thinking how she could, like, how am I supposed to lead now without this? Um, and then later on kind of coming to terms and then seeing how, no, that it was never really about the Darksaber. Um, man, us Mandalorians that were united anyway, and we worked together um, and took back Mandalore uh, despite um, the Darksaber being destroyed. So if I have um, one criticism about the finale, it was, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to more to the actual final moments here, but 
Um, I thought we would see more of reaction or at least more of a reconciliation of the Darksaber, which has been mm -hmm. such a huge part of Mandalorian history. Um, it just gets crushed and that's it. There's really no mention of it again. And it could be explored later on in future seasons. But I thought we would have gotten more of a reaction or at least some more of kind of a coming to terms uh, for Bo-Katan anyway with not having the Darksaber and having it finally be uh, laid to rest permanently or... Um, at least for now, anyway. But we'll see. Again, it might not even be the end of the dark save. We'll see if it gets uh, rebuilt. And uh, but it was something still crazy to see, and actually something we've seen for so long um, since uh, season two of the Clone Wars. And now actually to see that weapon actually destroyed and crushed was definitely something that made you go, "Oh man, like wow, <laughs> they did that." Yeah, I mean, and as much as I hated to see it because I love the dark saber so much. Um, I, and I said this on the last episode when you predicted it and I was like, man, I hate that you said that because now like, I kind of feel like you're right and that that's a good way to go, but I don't want to see it just because the dark saber is so cool. But I think that kind of is the best thing for the story going forward and for the Mandalorians. Um, now as far as in that moment, I, I think Bogatan's reaction was fine just because like, she's still fighting for her life against Moff Gideon. Um, and I think she's kind of just more concerned that she lost her weapon and that she's in danger. And, um, you know, especially, I mean, he, I, he must've like broken her hand with that mm. crush. I mean, if he's, you know, he's in this dark trooper suit that's made of Beskar, but also obviously has some like hydraulic enhancements because he was doing some things in these fights where it was like, he was, there was some superhuman strength there where he's like punching dents in the floor and stuff. Um, and to be able to take the Darksaber, which we know is also made of Beskar, because Din mentions that when he shows it to the armor, he says, like, the hilt is a quality of Beskar alloy that I've never seen before or something like that. And so Moff, for Moff Gideon to be able to just crush it in his hand, while it's in bo hand, like, that must have also done some real damage to her hand. So, like, she's injured, she's, you know, she's unarmed, she's facing down this guy that's threatening to kill her. I, you know, I wasn't expecting her to take a moment to be like, oh, no, the Darksaber, what am I going to do without this? Um, but I was kind of surprised that there wasn't really a moment reconciling that after the fact um, where they kind of like laid it to rest. Maybe not literally or physically, but sort of, you know, just talking about moving on from yeah. that. I think the context in the story was there that, um, you know, like in the last episode when Din tells her like the the dark saber means nothing to me but i follow you because you show loyalty and honor and courage and these values that you know to me like that's the way that's what makes a mandalorian a mandalorian it's not you having a sword or something um and then you know and he says that uh he says it means nothing to me or my my clan or my covert um, and yet they all follow Bogatan anyways and so even though she has the dark saber in that battle there's also not there's never really a moment Aside from her rallying, you know, her old clan with Axe and everybody, like when when Din gives the Darksaber back to her. Um, and you get like the final shot of that episode where she ignites it and is kind of taking leadership over them. You know, as they're preparing to, you know, as they unite all the clans and they're preparing to come back and take Mandalore, there's never really a moment where they all, you know, decide to follow her because she has the Darksaber. Like it never really mm -hmm. plays a huge role in that. Um 
So I didn't really feel like it was something that needed to be addressed of like, how are we going to go forward without it? Or, you know, are we still going to accept Bo-Katan? I think just the fact that she was able to unite everybody and lead them in this battle and they were successful and they took back the planet, I think was enough that you can understand why people would still follow her and you can understand the need for them. You can understand the need for them to move past that. And, um, you know, why it's better for the Mandalorians to kind of, you know, it, it almost is like a symbol of their history where they keep fighting over this thing. And it's like, oh, you know, to lead, you have to kill somebody and take this thing in combat. And, you know, it's almost representative of um, everything Bo-Katan says about how like Mandalorians are invincible when we stand together, but we're always our own downfall because we're always divided and fighting and stuff. Um so I think it is good for them to move on from that. And I think there's been enough context in the story leading up to this point, you know, throughout the season that you you can kind of understand that. Um, but it still would have been nice. Like you said, I mean, this has become kind of like something that, especially among fans, is sort of iconic and is, you know, this part of the on-screen Mandalorian culture that we've seen since Clone Wars um, and has kind of been a big deal. And so it just would have been nice to maybe kind of tie a nice bow on that and have a scene where, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, Bo-Katan is talking to Din or maybe she's talking to the armor or Axe and Koska or something and just kind of mentions that, like, you know, the Darksaber is gone, but I don't need that to rule Mandalore or something like that. Yeah, And it, it, it wouldn't been... have to be this big expository thing, but just kind mm-hmm. of a nice nod to it at the end as they're kind of resolving everything would have been nice. It could have been something like a symbolic thing too, where she had the remains of the dark saber as they're lighting the forge, and like mm-hmm. they put it in the forge too to kind of signify it as like that is the full end of the dark saber. Its final act is reigniting the forge that's going to you know rebuild Mandalore. So just kind of little things like that, just to kind of have a more symbolic ending to it instead of just being crushed by the hands of Gideon. Um, but at the same time, still when you look back at the end of the dark saber, like hundreds of years from now in Mandalorian history, they tell the story of how Mandalore was retaken. They'll say it was retaken um, or the dark side, the dark saber uh, fell in the battle that took back Mandalore for our people. So still playing mm-hmm. a huge part in a big moment in Mandalorian history there. But I think mainly uh, for me, just as for uh, at, with Bo-Katan, it's knowing how important it was for her over the course um, that we've seen her for her in Clone Wars. And then in season two, of the Mandalorian, just um, her kind of coming to terms and realizing, uh, I can't help but think like even the moment, the very ending of The Last Jedi, where we see Rey holding the broken piece of the, the Skywalker lightsaber and she's saying, how are we supposed to rebuild um, rebuild this? And I know she was talking about um, the resistance and all that too, but at the same time, the, sig- the lightsaber was signifying that broken in two. If like Bo-Katan kind of had a moment like that, um, mm-hmm. like how to lead like Mandalore without it, but then the armor were kind of reassures her and tells her like once and for all like you you've shown that you didn't need the dark saber to lead mandalore and have victory and that's kind of where they throw it into the uh the forge again something's on those lines i mean it's not yeah uh, it's not like something that's ha- really hampers the episode for me or anything like that but just something that would have been nice to see as far as as we talked about such now what has become an iconic legacy weapon of star wars um to have a moment for that uh, to show its um, significance would have been nice. But again, maybe, no, definitely. maybe this isn't the last time we've seen it. Who knows? Possibly. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you because I think all the story context is there. 
And, you know, to anybody that thinks like, oh, it didn't make sense or it was too abrupt of an ending or, or you know, they kind of mistreated it or whatever, I would disagree. Like I said, I think all the story context for them moving on from the Darksaber is there, but yeah, it yeah. still would have been nice to just have a nice little acknowledgement of that. And I love your idea of like having it be the first, like casting it into the forge as they reignite it or even having the armor reforge it into something else. Mm, yeah, um, there you go you know, for, use it to forge a, a crest or a piece of armor or something and, and give it to Bogotan or something like that as like a symbol of leadership. Um, and it could be like, is it either just a crest or, uh, you know, a, a piece of armor or something that's like protective or a tool, like rather than a weapon um, could have been a really nice transition. So I, I do wish that they had maybe included a little bit more of that at the end, but um, but I do love, I mean, going back to the fight and the moment it was destroyed and then Moff Gideon kind of gloating about, uh, you know, you Mandalorians are nothing without your trinkets and, and Bogotan says, no, Mandalorians are stronger together. Um, which is kind of funny that like in, it, that was almost kind of like a throwaway line in season two that she said, um, not really a throwaway line. Like it was, it was significant, but it was just kind of, you know, she said it in conversation talking about Mandalorians and stuff. And then it's almost become sort of her mantra this season. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really is, you know, it's kind of been a theme throughout the season talking about the division of the Mandalorians and the different clans. And, you know, we even see them fighting and, and Paz and, uh, Axe being at odds and stuff, but then, you know, them coming together to protect each other in battle and stuff like that. Um, and so to to have her again, it's almost like even in that moment, um, she's like, yeah, I lost the Darksaber, but like it got me to this point. Like I united all of Mandalore and we're here fighting for our homeworld. Like I don't need the Darksaber anymore. And then, you know, Din comes and helps her and she's like, I don't need a weapon. I've got a friend. And, you know, then you see them taking them on together. Um, Din, Bogatan, Grogu all working in tandem, fighting off Moff Gideon. And then, of course, as this is happening, Axe is, you know, steering the Imperial cruiser down into the chasm where the Imperial base is. And then I thought he was going to go down with the ship and sacrifice himself. But I'm glad that he, uh, you know, shot out the window at the last minute and flew away and um, that was got cool away shot, with everybody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, that was a really cool shot. Yeah, because it definitely, if he like went down with the ship, it, it would have made you guess like, why didn't he just jump out the ship with a jetpack or something like that? So it, yeah. it definitely would have made less sense if he died of going down with the ship because he easily could have gotten out, which we saw and it looked awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, so that was just a cool scene, you know, showing the, the ship coming and crashing into the base. All the Mandalorians are getting out. You see, you know, sort of the, the all the Imperial stuff crumbling and, you know, flaming TIE fighters falling and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, just this big explosion and, uh, seems to wipe out Moff Gideon. Um, and then, you know, of course, Grogu using the force to protect himself and Din and Bo-Katan and they're all fine. Um, now, you know, you said Moff Gideon is dead, question mark. Um, I, I'm assuming for now that he is dead. Um, just because I think this is such a fitting ending for him because, you know, even though there's more Imperial remnant out there, like he was the one that was like specifically sort of the enemy of Mandalore. Like he kind of had a personal vendetta against the Mandalorians. He was the one that initiated the purge of Mandalore and the bombings and had taken the Darksaber from Bogotan and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, for him to die in this explosion, you know, in the as they're destroying the Imperial base and sort of winning this battle for Mandalore, 
I thought was a fitting ending. So it's like, I'm not really sure how much more story they would have from Moff Gideon if they brought him back, especially when now we've established that there's all these other Imperial remnant warlords out there that you could, you know, tell different stories with. Um, so I thought this was a fitting ending for him. Now, I mean, he's wearing Beskar armor. And we know that Beskar can withstand a lot. And like, you know, it's not like that explosion like incinerated the entire base. I mean, he's standing on a metal landing platform and the platform was fine, but Moff Gideon was gone. Um, so it's like, I don't know which, what types of metal get incinerated by explosions. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and also, like we said, you know, the, with him doing cloning stuff, it's like the maybe this was a clone of Moff Gideon or maybe, uh, you know, he's got other clones out there and they certainly could bring him, they, they could find ways to bring him back if they wanted to. Um, and on the one hand, I wouldn't necessarily be mad about that because I really enjoy Moff Gideon as a villain. And I, I really like Giancarlo Esposito's performance. And, you know, I think they could do some fun stuff with him, but also I'm kind of over them bringing back dead Star Wars villains, especially when there's cloning involved. We're already working up to Palpatine. Yeah. We don't we don't need a somehow Moff Gideon returned. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think this was a perfectly fitting end for the character, and I'm fine if they, you know, move on from him and, uh, you know, just introduce some new threats and stuff next season. Like we said, we know there's still plenty of other Imperials out there. And, uh, you know, of course, at the end of this, Din goes to Carson Teva and, you know, offers to help the New Republic, you know, fight other Imperial remnants. So um, I think I'd rather see them introduce some new Imperial villains than, uh, you know, bring Moff Gideon back from seemingly being dead. So, And he wasn't wearing or a jetpack during that battle, I don't believe, because if if he was, then that adds more to maybe he could have just flew out of there not too long after that flame engulfed him. But um, I'm not sure if that was the case or not. But um, yeah, I'm kind of leaning more towards, I mean, this is probably it for Gideon, at least for a while, because I think it's time now, as you said, everything wrapped up nicely with the story um, that they've been building to as far as taking back Mandalore um, from Gideon. And that happened. And I, th I think they want to kind of put Gideon to rest because we are going to be moving from him to Thrawn as the big bad guy now and not, I guess, really have both of them in the picture, I guess, kind of battling out for top villain. So now that Gideon's off the board, I just think it's all going to be building towards Thrawn being the ultimate bad guy until we get to um, the movie. But the way it was shot and it looked, um, it's definitely in their back pocket if they want to, <laughs> for whatever reason. They want to bring Gideon back. They have options to work with, whether it's cloning or just that he just simply survived. I hope it's not where it was a clone because it, then it kind of lessens the victory that they had against them and the destruction of like the Darksaber and just the triumphant uh, moment they had taking back Mandalore if it was only just a clone of Gideon. So I kind of hope it's not. And if they were to bring it back, it's because his best car armor was <laughs> was able to withstand uh, the flames and explosion that he was around in he was able to get out somehow, but uh, we'll see. It, it'll probably just be, if they do eventually go want to do that, it will still probably be a while before we see Moff Gideon in, but yeah, what a great villain he made for three seasons of the Mandalorian. He was fantastic. As we talked about in the last episode, he's just, he's ranked, he ranks up there as one of the best villains in Star Wars with uh, what we saw of him these last three seasons and just all culminating to this one big <laughs> epic finale he had in that armor and close to fulfilling his goals, but uh, like all villains do, come, they just fall just too short. 
Yeah, definitely. He's he's up there among some of my favorite Star Wars villains for sure. So, like I said, I'm fine with him being gone. I'm happy with what we got of him. Um, you know, three seasons of him being a great villain. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see where they go from here and, uh, you know, sort of who's up next. Obviously, we've got Thrawn, but I think that's going to be more dealing with um, the Ahsoka series. Um, I mean, maybe we'll see him in next season of Mando. I think, you know, obviously we're going to get Ahsoka first. So we'll kind of, I think that show will kind of give us a sense of like how much Moff Gideon or how much Thrawn is going to kind of be at the forefront versus is he kind of still going to be in the shadows pulling the strings and then maybe we'll wait till the movie to see him really kind of fully reveal himself. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like we said, they, they've got plenty of other Imperial, you know, moths and commanders and stuff to pull from as kind of small time villains leading up to that. Um, as well as other, you know, pirates and, and bounty hunters and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure we're going to get, you know, a wide variety of stuff next season. I'm I'm really looking forward to, as much as I enjoyed this season kind of being like one overarching story of retaking Mandalore, I'm kind of looking forward to next season going back to just kind of like the fun adventures of the week with like different planets, different characters, different, you know, villains and aliens and monsters and all kinds of that stuff. So, mm um but yeah i mean it was cool to have this season really um like i said be kind of like a, a world building season fleshing out a lot more like imperial and new republic stuff introducing pirate factions um you know focusing a lot more on the different mandalorian clans and then really uh you know kind of giving us this season-long journey for them to retake their home world and kind of reestablish mandalore um and so of course at the end it was cool to see uh you know all of the mandalorians gathered before the forge and uh you know bogatan reigniting it and axe yelling for mandalore and um yeah really <laughs> i i love the fact that the way mandalorians clap is by like clanging their bracers together <laughs> um that's just a really cool touch that like of course these guys that you know their armor is such a huge part of their identity would do something like that um and then, of course, we get, you know, this this nice scene where we circle back to the very beginning of the season where uh, Ragnar gets to finally finish his sort of baptism or his initiation ceremony where he swears the creed and becomes a Mandalorian. Um, and then Din brings Grogu up and wants to do the same thing for him. Um, and the armorer says, you know, he's still too young to speak. And so he's too young to take the creed. And Din is like, well, what if his parent... Uh, you know, basically gives him permission or, or sort of intercedes on his behalf. And the armor is like, well, yeah, his parent could, but his parents are far from here. And uh, then basically just says, like, I'll adopt him as my own child then. Um, and uh, which was nice because, you know, it's like we're sort of at the point now where everybody already talks about Din like he's Grogu's dad even in the show like Bogatan said that earlier this season mm -hmm. it just you know referred to him as his dad but it was nice to kind of make it official and have him like adopt Grogu as his son um and be recognized yeah. that way by all the other Mandalorians but then also to now have I guess you know Mandalorians don't just have I guess it's kind of like Jedi like they don't just have foundlings but you go from foundling to apprentice um so Grogu's his apprentice now and uh, takes on the name Din Grogu, which now yeah. everybody's like, wait, so was Din his last name this whole time? Um, or, you know, his clan name or whatever. It's interesting. Well, see, even there, 
I was like, you know, that must be a thing just within Din's clan with like the children of the watch, because obviously like Bo-Katan, you know, she's Bo-Katan Kreeze and we've seen Satine Kreeze and you have Sabine Wren and Ursa Wren, like Mandalorians mm-hmm. have last names just like the rest of us. Um, but then even in with it, within the children of the watch, you have Paz Vizla, who is part of clan Vizla, and we've seen pre Vizla and all these other Vizlas. So I don't know why they went with Din Grogu. Maybe they just thought that sounded better than Grogu Jaren. Um, it does sound which better, I will right, admit that does roll <laughs> that does roll off the tongue better. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you could have said Grogu of clan Jaren or something like that. Um, I don't know. It, the, the naming thing was a little weird, but still just, you know, sort of the um, the recognition of Din adopting Grogu as his son and then, um, you know, Grogu being, you know, sort of accepted as like a Mandalorian apprentice now, um, which I guess. So, you know, he's now like even though he hasn't sworn the creed, it's like you're now not just a kid that they've taken in and are raising but it's like now you're sort of on the path to being a a full mandalorian or something like that so just a nice uh touching moment there to uh you know continue furthering their bond um like i said it was cool to kind of end the season where it began too with that ceremony and with ragnar getting to finish his ceremony that was interrupted the first time around um and that that poor kid's been through the ringer this season right like First, his baptism was interrupted by a crocodile monster. Then he got snatched up by a pterodactyl after losing to a baby in paintball. Uh, and then his <laughs> and then his dad died. So, uh, you know, nice that he finally got to at least accomplish what he set out to do at the beginning. Um, but then, yeah, just nice to get this moment between Din and Grogu. And then, of course, Grogu, you know, stares into the water and kind of makes a connection through the force with the mythosaur. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least senses it down there or something. But I mean, that was interesting because on the one hand, I was kind of surprised that the Mythosaur never like played a bigger part this season. It was almost like really Me it's too. only purpose. It's like its only purpose really in the story was Bogatan seeing it and the armorer kind of accepting that as a symbol to trust Bogatan and to let her be the one to lead. Um because again, you know, having the dark saber means you know meant nothing to her, and even you know, Bo-Katan didn't have the the dark saber at that point. But all these you know ancient legends and stuff tied to Mandalore, um, that Bogatan was able to prove that the Mythosaur was real, and you know that maybe they could return to their homeworld. Like that was enough for the armorer to say, "Hey, you know, what? maybe we should follow you instead of you know making everybody follow me." Um, but I was kind of expecting it to play a bigger role in the end. I thought we were maybe going to see somebody riding it during the battle or something like that. Um, I do kind of like, I mean, with it being kind of like this ancient legendary monster, I'm okay with it kind of being this thing that's like in the background and it's kind of more like as a symbol of their people and them just kind of taking comfort in the knowledge that it's there. But also this shot with Grogu makes me wonder, like, is that is there still going to be more to that in the future? Is is Grogu going to kind of make some kind of connection with the Mythosaur, or, or uh, you know, are we going to see more of that later on? So, um, I don't know. It was a cool moment there, and uh, you know, an interesting possible setup. I mean, it didn't really seem like a dot 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 to be continued. Like Grogu is going to be the one to ride the Mythosaur and take over Mandalore or whatever. But um, just something that could lead to some more interesting things down the line if they so choose. Yeah. Um, again, that was another kind of 
prediction slash <laughs> surprise of the finale that we didn't get or thinking like you said the missasaur played a big role in taking back mandalore but um i guess it's just going to be a slow build because I, I do think eventually we're going to see the mythosaur in all its glory out of the water and just fully exposed and out there and just be this gigantic beast and this something that will amaze us all and, and i'm sure all the mandalorians in there uh once they see it too but i guess we're just gonna get to that slowly because uh, we did get to see a little bit more of it than we saw in uh the minds of mandalore but um we'll see how it plays a factor in the story later on but i am still glad it was acknowledged in the finale as they retook mandalore and they're, they're having this a moment here in the living waters that um they just made a point to show yeah the mythosaur is definitely still down there and there is another who feels its presence in grogu so it's not just bogatan who knows it's down there but uh, maybe grogu doesn't know exactly what he is what it is but he knows there's another uh life form uh in those living waters but um yeah that was a cool moment i i was expecting once um din was talking about um, wanted to grow, grow to take the creed and how the armorer said he can't speak. I thought that was going to be the moment. So we actually heard Grogu say um, his first words that are clearly understandable. I thought he was, might've said, this is the way right there, but mm-hmm. I guess it's something they're still waiting for another moment uh, to make that happen. But um, well, I- especially because like once Din said, you know, that I'm going to adopt him. And she said, you know, he's Din Grogu and, and all this stuff. And then of course there was everybody was saying, this is the way, like the armor says it. And then Din says it. And then Grogu yeah. kind of coos in his baby speak a little bit more. And I was <laughs> like, is he going to say, this is the way, or is he going to say, you know, his name or Din's name or something like that. But no, I guess we'll just have to wait a little bit longer for that. Yeah, I guess so. But if they decided to do it here, it would have been a fitting moment. I felt <laughs> this is where we heard Grogu's uh, first words. But um, yeah, yeah. So um, just another step in the path for Grogu becoming a true Mandalorian. I mean, who knows when? But eventually, we're going to see Grogu in full Mandalorian armor with a helmet and everything on. And <laughs> boy, will that be uh, crazy! But yet awesome to see once that does happen. But again, this this journey we're not only seeing. Din Djarin take on uh, as a Mandalorian, but also the very beginnings of how um, a young foundling, this I think it's pretty much a young baby, is going to become a Mandalorian as well. Uh, and again, just another added layer to that um, as we see a story unfold. And that's the only part that's kind of a bummer when you think about it, how Din and everyone there is not going to be alive to see Grogu <laughs> kind of probably fully um, become a Mandalorian maybe with armor um, because I mean, there's always this talk about um, even the the new Jedi Order movie coming out. Is Grogu going to play a part of that with Rey? He's not going to be that much older than he is right now. He's still going to mm-hmm. be a toddler, an infant. And, I mean, it's going to be years before he's actually, you know, a, a young kid or a young adult. As I mean, if, if we're going 15 years after the rise of Skywalker, he would be like close to 100 by that point. Yeah. I mean, what's, so what's that going to be like? Be... 10 <laughs> like well like see that's the thing i i gotta think that with yoda's species like they've got to hit a growth spurt at some point yeah. you know where like maybe within between 50 and 100 he goes from being like a baby to an adult um or something so you know because yoda even says he's like for for 800 years what does he say 800 or 900 he said as 900. far as how long he's trained jedi oh, um 800 yeah yeah, he's like, for 800 years have I trained Jedi. But he says, 
when he's 900 years old. So maybe That's he's a very been, good point. you know, a Jedi <laughs> Knight for, you know, so yeah, maybe, maybe around you know, in those in-between years, you know, once you get around 80 to 100, maybe that's when they start coming into maturity. So, um, yeah. You know, I can't believe I never really thought about that line <laughs> when we're thinking about how Yoda, uh, Grogu can grow uh, as far as his age, because that makes total sense where Yoda would have to be at least like 100 <laughs> for him to start training Jedi. And you can't be where Grogu's at if he's training any Jedi. And again, they have room to play with that. If they want to make it where like a 75 years to hit a massive growth spurt but that's just how the species are i mean i'll buy into it i'm not gonna yeah I'll find any fault with that <laughs> being a totally different species that we know nothing about so if they want to go that route that would be fine because uh like i said it is kind of sad to think about where most of these characters maybe not see grogu fully come into his own as a mandalorian here but if they decide to do that um and have him age it up a bit so characters like din Djarin can see that that would be awesome and i'd be totally okay with it yeah, for sure. And like, also, you know, we don't need to see like every year of his lifespan either. You know, if yeah. you want to jump ahead to, you know, the new Jedi Order movie and you have Grogu in there and he's 100 years old and he talks and he's, you know, more of a mature, like young adult, like I'll buy it. You know, I don't need to see like, now, how did we get from him being a baby to this? Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it'll be cool when we eventually do get to see some stories of him being more sort of a, a full grown Mandalorian. Um, but for now I'm just enjoying these adventures with him and Din. Um, and you know what I always say too, like as much as it would be cool to see him with Ray's new Jedi order and stuff at the same time, I almost don't want to see stuff with him that far ahead when like, they're not done with his story in the Mandalorian yet. And I don't right. want them to be, you know, I don't want John Favreau to be suddenly locked into doing something that has to line up with, something somebody else is doing if it's not necessarily what he would have done um and yeah i don't know you know how how long this show is going to continue on but you know it certainly seems like they've got uh you know season four ready to go already um and they could just continue you know far beyond that especially again you know if we're getting back to just adventures of din and grogu you know traveling the galaxy and kind of getting caught up in some of these events that going that are going on but they're not like major players in it um and this is why i'm like on the one hand because the mandalorian is so popular i could see them you know including din in whatever movie they're setting up but i also could see you know sort of that bigger story growing sort of beyond him and it's more focused on Thrawn and the New Republic. And I mean, I know Din's going to be working with the New Republic, so it would make sense for him to be part of that. But, uh, you know, if you're having some massive battle for the heart of the galaxy and the Empire's trying to take over Coruscant or something, and meanwhile, Din and Grogu are off, you know, chasing a bounty in the Outer Rim, and it's like, it doesn't even have to connect to that. So, um, but even if they are part of it, even if they, they sort of tie all this stuff into, you know, one big climactic sort of culmination it's like there's definitely room to still continue the mandalorian story on after that of just him and grogu doing their own thing so it's like who knows how long they could keep going with this mm -hmm. um it could it could go on for a long long time and i'm totally here for you know just more of those adventures another thing i was thinking about too just how this new status quo with uh mandalore being retaken and the mandalorians have their planet back and there's a good number of them and they have a fleet and we were talking about, um, I believe it was our celebration episode, we were just speculating about the movie Dave Filoni's doing and how, you know, if the Empire is going to be big enough to where the New Republic has to get involved, but then if they're involved, why do they become so 
um, like not interested in placing with the first order, not acknowledging them as a threat. It just makes me think if the if Thrawn comes back with a big enough army of the remnants of the Empire, now that the Mandalorians have their planet in the fleet, I could totally see it where the story is set up now where they would be the army that goes up against them, where the New Republic doesn't get involved besides a few like Carson with Carson Tiva being involved with that, but it's actually like the Mandalorian fleet that they kind of grow in numbers again by the time we get to that movie. That's maybe been on Mandalore a few years, more Mandalorians have returned. They build their numbers up. They can be um, kind of the the army and the force that goes up and uh, opposes Thrawn and the remnants of the Empire um, as uh, they make their presence known, but yet keeping the New Republic out of it still because of that reason. So uh, that's another thing I thought of as watching the finale, how it we're setting things up for that potential movie. What could be involved with that? Um, the fact of what the role the Mandalorians can play now, I think could be that main uh, military might that uh, the protagonists of, those, of that story are going to need to go against uh, the Empire with Thrawn involved. So I do like that idea of uh, thinking about the Mandalorians and the role that they can play moving forward into uh, that eventual uh, big battle that they're going to have with Thrawn. That would be pretty cool as well. I mean, I think Dave did kind of specifically call out like it's going to be the Empire versus the New Republic. Um, but the the New Republic certainly could rely on the Mandalorians for help. I don't necessarily see them being like the main sort of protagonists in that story and like the main ones that are going up against the Empire. But I still think they definitely could play a big role in that story. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, hard. the empire. The empire even like one of those imperial guys even said like uh, I think it was Paleon who said a resurgent yeah. empire would be a, a big hindrance to our efforts. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I think they're going to have to deal with them at some point, which also makes me kind of scared. I hope that it's not like oh you've won this victory against Moff Gideon now, but then Thrawn comes in and like wipes them all out, and that's why they're not around like in the time of the sequel trilogy. Um, no, but I, it's, I don't think so. I don't think they'll do it's that. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible if they really want to, you know, kind of make things go dark and like establish Thrawn as a threat. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I hope that doesn't happen. But I definitely think, you know, we, we haven't seen the last of Bogatan and Mandalore and all these guys. And Din could still go back there as well, even though going forward, it seems like he's going to be kind of doing more stuff for the New Republic. Um, it's like you have all this stuff there that you can play with now. Um, now it seems like, you know, he's kind of based on Navarro, you know, that's like the last scene of the episode. They, you know, they go back to Navarro. Uh, oh, and he takes the the droid head from the cantina where he meets up with Tiva. Um, and that's kind of like the last parts that they need to repair IG-11. And so the Andellans are able to rebuild him. And, you know, now IG-11 is the marshal of Navarro and he's protecting the people. And Din is just kind of chilling on the outskirts of town with his new little hut and, you know, a pond for Grogu to play in and lift frogs. Um, but then, uh, you know, he's, he's he can go from there and go, you know, do bounty hunting and go do jobs for the New Republic and go back to Mandalore and visit bo and all that kind of stuff. So, like I said, it feels like this season, you know, even if it was maybe a little bit inconsistent and kind of went through some growing pains, it really felt like it was sort of an expansion of this corner of the universe and this sort of area of the timeline. And now they kind of have a lot more established stuff to play with going forward when telling all these stories. Yeah, I just love that final shot of just Din and Grogu out on the ranch. <laughs> like you got the N1 Starfighter parked to the side of it. It was just a great looking mm -hmm. visual. It just it's just so cool to see. Like you just you just felt happy for both of them, knowing that uh 
they did what they were set out to do. Um, everything that started in season one and what um, he wanted to protect Rogu, he did. He wanted to give him back to his people. He did. And then they got reunited to take back Mandalore. They did. So now it's just a little time for rest and re- relaxation before he starts <laughs> doing some work again. And that's going to be uh, doing some jobs for the New Republic, which should be awesome. So, yeah, I just loved uh, how it ended. And just, again, how, just making you feel really happy, which wasn't I didn't think I was going to feel in this finale <laughs> leading into yeah. the last episode. I just thought I was going to be end on a cliffhanger or like a bummer ending. It was like, how could they do that? Oh, it's going to be such a long wait for season four. And yeah, you I know what it is? They, they set us up with the Bad Batch finale. Right? <laughs> Who would have thought that would have had the more downer and finale than the Mandalorian yeah. did? But yeah, yeah if, you had, if you had told me between Bad Batch season two and the Mandalorian season three, one is going to end on a, a happy note and one is going to add on a sad, depressing note kind of with a cliffhanger, I would have been like, oh, I'm scared for Din. Like, what's going to happen on Mando? Was like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry, tech fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just love that ending that they had for it again. Just very satisfying for not only the season, but just for the story we've gotten so far all the way dating back to season one. And how about the fade out too? <laughs> how different it was doing that circle fade when yeah. you focused on Grogu uh, for a bit. That was really different, but yet I liked it. <laughs> just Well... Um, you know, I liked it because it was kind of, you know, just kind of something silly and something different. But something I didn't pick up on until the second time I watched the episode is it was another thing where it kind of focuses on Grogu's like growth and development. Because you see Din just kind of sitting out on the front porch or whatever, kicking back with his feet up. And then the camera zooms out a little bit more and you see Grogu sitting by the pond and he's using the force to lift a frog up. And then... um you know, then the the circle shrinks down to just him and then he lets the frog go and it falls back yeah. in the water. And I'm like, I think that's the first time we've ever seen him use the force on a frog and not try to eat it. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was like the fact that he's just, you know, honing his force techniques, but then, you know, letting the thing go and like just not trying to eat everything. It's like, oh, he's learning. So. Yeah. And again, just glad to see him still use the force. And maybe he doesn't have a full time teacher anymore, but just on his own, still using it and hopefully trying to learn and kind of harness it still more than uh, he was able to at first and just kind of continue that and to see him uh, develop it more so um, without necessarily having a teacher all the time. He probably won't be as good as he could be without a teacher, um, as Luke told him, but I've still seen him continue to use the Force. I'm glad uh, that's still going to be a focal point of his character. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and that's that's where we end. Um, and there was no, you know, post credit scene or anything. I was kind of expecting that. I like I Me sat too. through the whole credits, and I was wondering, you know, are we going to see Thrawn at the end? Um, you know, I think really it was just you know seeing Din go back to Carson Tiva and talk about you know working for the New Republic. That was the one thing that was kind of like a setup or tease for next season. Um, but there was no big like surprise character reveal or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a, a fun and satisfying way to end. You know, the season it was a fun episode, great action sequences, fun way to wrap up the story. Um, I guess it's not as dark or twisty as we might have thought, especially coming off the heels of you know, like everybody's been speculating all week about the spies, you know, the title of the last episode. And it was like, okay, we know Elia Kane's a spy, but that's only one. So there's gotta be multiple spies. So who's the other one? And like everybody is pointing fingers at the armor or, 
you know, Axe or Casca or the, um, you know, the, the Mandalorian uh, refugees that they meet up with on Mandalore. And I, it was weird because I still think it, that was an odd choice for a title. Um, but I, I kind of threw this out there on the last episode that I was like, maybe the spies is just sort of referring to like the scouting party that lands on Mandalore. And it's talking about spies more in the sense of like, you know, just sort of like scouts um, and not necessarily like double agents. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I was right. Like maybe that is what that was supposed to refer to. Um or I guess it maybe could have been referring to like Imperial spies, even though we didn't really see any, but just the fact that that episode starts with like the empire talking about, um, you know, all these secret plans and stuff. Mm. Um, but it was almost like, I don't know, like the way the story ended was so just kind of like straightforward and, um, you know, very much like a feel good kind of story. Um, but it was like, they had done all this stuff to like, almost kind of throw like a misdirect and like not within the story itself, but like, again, just with that title, the spies. And it's like, they had to know that people were going to be speculating about who the spies are. And then during the week, um, you know, there were some things where like Brendan Wayne, who's one of the actors who post, who plays uh, Mando um, posted something on his Instagram story where somebody was like, oh, I can't wait for the, the finale. And, you know, I just wanted to get here already. And he reposted it and was like, be careful what you wish for. It might hurt too much. And we were all like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you know, StarWars.com or like the, the Star Wars social channels put out this video where it was like all the actors yeah. like thanking the fans for being a part of this journey and stuff. And it was just one of those weird things where it was like, is like this saying goodbye is, to us? <laughs> yeah, it was like, is the show ending now? I mean, as far as we know, like, I don't think it's been officially greenlit for a season four, from what we've heard. Like, there has not been an official like Disney or Lucasfilm announcement that a season four of The Mandalorian is coming. But like, John Favreau again has talked about writing season four and that the show is not ending anytime soon and stuff. So, unless something drastically changes behind the scenes, I don't think the Mandalorian is ending anytime soon. Although, like we said, if they were to end it right now, I feel like this is a kind of a satisfying place where like you definitely could tell more stories after this, but also like they've neatly wrapped up the story that they were telling over these first three seasons. So if they had to end it here, at least you're not sort of left wanting, you know, it's not like they left you on a cliffhanger or had a bunch of unresolved story threads or something. Um but yeah, just all this stuff throughout the week leading up to this just kind of had me on the edge of my seat. And there was all this speculation and all this kind of doom and gloom and and wondering who the spy was and who was going to get backstabbed and who was going to die and, and what's going to be emotional and what's going to hurt. And then it was just kind of like a pretty straightforward, fun episode of Mando with some really awesome battle scenes in the end. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, neatly wrapped up the story that they've been telling all season. So um you know, I, I was perfectly fine with it. Like I said, it wasn't what we expected. I know I, I I know not everybody loved this episode. And I think for some people, maybe sort of their own expectations kind of got in the way. Um, but you certainly could argue that they kind of stoked those fires a little bit. And maybe, like I said, I think the story itself wasn't necessarily misleading. Um, but some of the marketing and stuff, and even, you know, the titles of certain episodes and stuff kind of maybe alluded to some things that weren't really there. 
Um, and some of it was was fan created too. I mean, especially all season, people have been sort of mistrustful of the armorer. And like I said, for me, aside from the fact that she's just mysterious and we don't know much about her, and it's one of those things where it's like she could be a bad guy and we wouldn't really know. Um, but I also was never, you know, I feel like the story itself never gave us reason to believe that she was up to no good. Um, aside from just, again, her doing some things like, you know, when she tells Bogotan, like, hey, you know, remove your helmet and like you walk both worlds and we're going to follow you now. And so it was kind of like, this seems a bit abrupt. Like, what is she playing at here? Um, but she never really had motivation to betray the Mandalorians. Um so I think a lot of that was just sort of fan generated, you know, people coming up with theories and running with it and then being disappointed when those things didn't play out. Um, and I will say, I mean, I, I there were some things that I maybe had wish had been done a little bit differently in this episode. I think it could have been a little bit longer. Like this one was only it was only 38 minutes. And there were some areas where it felt a little bit rushed. Like I said, even, you know, just sort of like the resolution to the stuff with the fleet and the Imperial fighters and stuff that we never really saw what happened to all of them. Um, and the, the stuff with the cloning and, you know, the Moff Gideon clones and that all gets resolved really quickly and never ends up being that big of a deal. And then, um, you know, the, the stuff with the dark saber and just the fact that there's no real like resolution to that. And there would have been a night, nice, it would have been nice to see a moment where it's kind of addressed or like laid to rest or something like that. Those are some things I would have liked to see, you know, the episode could have used maybe another five minutes in length or something like that. But overall, I thought it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good end to the season. Um, and much like the season itself, um, you know, I've had some issues with it. It hasn't always been the most consistent, but overall it was a fun ride. Uh, you know, with some really great stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I love this show and I'm happy with what we got. Yeah. I mean, I just love the fact that this was a great finale and it didn't have all like the surprises or twists that you would kind of expect. And I'm sure a lot of people were, even I was too, um, that you normally associate with a finale and that we've sort of been used to just within the series itself. I mean, the first one was, uh, Getting the dark the reveal of the dark saber was mind blowing, and then, I mean, you can't top the appearance of Luke Skywalker in his Jedi prime <laughs> in mm -hmm. action. So it's like I'm glad that they didn't even try to replicate that. Like have someone show up or another guest appearance to try to replicate what we got with Luke. It's like no, don't even try because it's not going to get better than that. <laughs> so the fact that he just did something totally different and just focused on the story that they were telling this season or wrapping all that up was definitely the right move. And they just did it in grand fashion with what we got in this episode. So yeah, uh, that's one of the things I really love and just respect about what they did with this finale, not trying to duplicate and just go for the wow and shock factor. They were just really focusing in on the, the story they were telling of retaking Mandalore. And knowing that in itself is a big deal and would be a, a big moment for a, a finale to have a, the battle for Mandalore and the battle, the final battle between Din Djarin, Bo-Katan and moff gideon was grogu involved in there too so the fact that that's what they focused on i think was just a great because um i just really loved the finale it was i was shocked and surprised but really enjoyed it the first time but when i watched it again the second time i was like Man, this is a fantastic finale i'm just really having a great time watching it yeah there were some nitpicks that i had mainly with uh the stuff with the dark saber that we talked about but other than that it was just a great ride <laughs> for this finale and uh for this season and like you said too, maybe we might do 
um, a, like a full season episode recapping everything. But overall, I I really enjoyed the season. I mean, it's probably not up there with season. Season two is perfect. I mean, if you ask me, it's just yeah. It's incredible. Season one was great. And just an introduction to these characters and the story. So it probably is out of the three, probably my least favorite of the three, but I still really, really enjoyed it. It gave me some stuff that um, I would never expect to see um, in Star Wars that we got in some um, great moments, cheer, cheer moments with characters that we know and love. Some cool surprises too that may not be as mind-blowing as getting Luke, Boba Fett, and Ahsoka in the season, but still great stuff. I will... Uh, like with Keller and Beck and Grogu's uh, exit or his rescue from Order 66. All that stuff was great. Um, so yeah, there's some they did some some stuff differently, that's for sure, with two episodes, which kind of caused a few bumps uh, in the season. But again, for me personally, that's only two episodes in an eight-episode season. Um, there's still so much that I loved about this season and where it took things. So yeah, I was very, very satisfied with this uh, finale, despite not being what I expected. But sometimes things are better that way when things go unexpected. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I would I mean, I don't know if I would say this or season one is my least favorite season. I mean, they're all great. Like you said, season two, I think is still top of the list for sure. Um, I think with, you know, if you were to compare this to season one, it's like there definitely were some higher highs and especially with, you know, what they're able to do with the, te the technology and the effects and mm -hmm. stuff now, like the scale is just so much bigger. Um, but also, you know, like we said, it was, it was a little bit inconsistent at times too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I still had a lot of fun with it. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I'm I'm really happy with where it left things, and I'm really excited to uh, to go from here and see what we get in season four. Um, but I'm also yeah. really excited for Ahsoka and you know all this other stuff that we're gonna get. I guess Ahsoka and then Skeleton Crew would be the next thing that kind of is taking place in this same time period. And then I assume that after that we would just go into uh you know then it would be whenever we're getting season four of mando unless they're gonna spring like a surprise season two of book of boba fett on us um i'm still hoping <laughs> and you know what even if we don't get a season two of book of boba fett i would be not surprised at all if we get um boba next season of mando um because, you know, again, now that it's just sort of him and Grogu going on adventures and, you know, going to different planets and stuff like I could definitely see a scenario where he goes back to Tatooine and maybe ends up doing something for Boba again and getting involved yeah. there. So, um, yeah, we're definitely going to see him again at some point. Yeah, I definitely hope so. <laughs> I mean, that was my on my wish list of things that happens, the finale, but one that I probably felt more than likely wasn't going to happen. So I wasn't too surprised or disappointed with Boba Fett didn't show up at all to help with the battle. And it probably yeah, wasn't too much no. to explain how he got there. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. It's funny because Rick did say, I think at Celebration, yeah, um, he said that these last two episodes of the season were going to provide a lot of closure for, uh, like closure and resolution for The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. But I think really he was alluding more to the Mando and Grogu stuff in The Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, he um, definitely was. <laughs> which obviously that that did play a big part in this, you know, showing Grogu's development and his training with Luke and, uh, you know, stuff like that and stuff with the Darksaber and things like that that we saw in Book of Boba Fett. So, um, 
yeah, but it was like I said, it was a it was a fun season, and there's a lot of fun stuff they can do from here. And I'm just excited to see more of it. I'm glad that everybody made it out. I'm glad that Din and Grogu are still together, and uh, you know, Din didn't die or get mind wiped or any of that crazy stuff that we were theorizing <laughs> about last time. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited to continue seeing more adventures with these characters. Um, and I'm excited. I'm really excited for Ahsoka and uh, all the other stuff they've got coming up. So. And so glad yeah, it's, it's not that long of a wait either. So that's what is great. Yeah, about. definitely. We got like what three, three or four more months. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be a good time. And then of course, before that, we've got visions uh coming up in just a couple of weeks. We got Jedi Survivors. So like next week, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no shortage. Oh shoot, yeah. Jedi Survivor does come out next week, which means I got a week to finish that book. Um <laughs> I which like, I have to read a little bit more of since the last time we recorded, but uh still got some progress to make so maybe i'll try to dig into that this weekend um but yeah so i think that's you know that's that's everything we've got on the uh season three finale of the mandalorian but um i know my phone was blowing up all day today i know a lot of people were chiming in about it on twitter so uh, what did the listeners have to say about it yeah so first up uh chris spark he says i thought the last two episodes were excellent plenty of edge of the seat action I felt like it felt like Star Wars. The visuals are beautiful. The action with the Mandos was cool. Some character development, and finally a happy ending with hope. And then Rich Brockwell says, "Really liked the episode. A good ending to a bit of a bumpy season." And then Berksma says, "Was expecting more emotional trauma. Honestly, uh, it was nice to have a happy conclusion. Seemed like the series finale versus the season finale. I'm intrigued by season four and love the direction Grogu is going in." Wonder if Ahsoka will help rebuild the Darksaber. Great content, as always, from you guys. Well, thank you for that, Berksma. And that's interesting if Ahsoka might have something to do with the Darksaber. We shall see. And then Rich uh, Rodriguez says, Glad the Darksaber is gone. It was feeling like an anchor. And was that the real Gideon? Grogu fighting for his dad was heartfelt. Then when all the Mandalorians teamed up for the battle, it was just a great feeling. Loved the last two episodes and looking forward to the next arc. And then Star Wars Junkie says, I liked it. I was very surprised that there was no surprises. The circle uh, ending fade out was new too. It stood out, but a good conclusion to the season. And then Kid Kenobi says, they really stuck the landing. The action and emotion were very well balanced. I do hope this isn't the last we see of Gideon. The reveal of his scheme felt a bit overlooked. Can't wait for a potential Ahsoka crossover and season four. Loved all your coverage this season. Keep it up. Well, thanks, Kid Kenobi, for that. And yeah, it's been fun talking about each episode every week. It's, it's been a blast as it was watching it. And it's glad to see that everyone who responded here felt overall positive about the finale The finale, and had a good time with it and had some of the same thoughts and speculations that we had watching it and discussing over the course of this episode um, that we recorded tonight. So yeah, just great to hear everyone's thoughts on this one. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for chiming in as always. Um glad you enjoyed the show and you know hope you've enjoyed our coverage of it it's you know this has kind of been new for us doing weekly uh reviews of every episode but i've enjoyed it i think it's kind of easier to um you know talk about it while it's fresh and uh you know you know kind of give your thoughts on it right after watching it um and also not have to do like four hour episodes where you're covering you know multiple episodes where like big things happen so um you know, I was a little bit apprehensive coming into it just because, you know, we usually don't record this frequently. And I was like, oh, is doing an episode every week going to be too much? And it's like, nah, doing like an hour and a half 
every week is, you know, kind of more manageable than doing, you know, four hours every two or three weeks. So, um, yeah, I'm sure, you know, it, it, unless anything changes, I could definitely see us doing this for Ahsoka as well. I don't know if we'll do it for every Star Wars series that comes out. Obviously, we didn't do that for Bad Batch, but um, at least for, you know, some of the live action series that we're really excited about and have a lot of stuff to break down, you know, we might just do the same thing going forward. So, um yeah, glad you guys have enjoyed it. Again, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Glad to hear you guys all enjoyed the episode as well. And uh, it's been great getting to connect with you guys all season and hearing, you know, your feedback on the show and everything. So, um, you know, of course, as always, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, we're on Facebook as well uh, at Star Wars The Saga Continues. And you can send us email at StarWarsTSC at gmail.com. I need to get our Instagram page back up again because I, I announced back at like the beginning of the year that we were on Instagram now too. And then like, I don't know if it got taken down for copyright or something or if it was just like a glitch. But like, I don't know, one, one time I was trying to switch from my personal Instagram account over to the Saga Continues one and it like, glitched or something and then it was like the account can't be recovered or something like we only had two posts on there and so i just kind of you know just left it um i didn't really know what to do to try to you know sign in or get it back or anything but maybe i'll just create a new one and we can make some more posts on there too um but uh yeah i don't know that's where you can you guys can find us online um Again, thank you for, for engaging with us. Thank you for listening. Hope you guys have enjoyed the season of Mando as much as we have. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks, probably. So we've got, you know, I mean, Jedi Survivor comes out next week. We're not going to necessarily talk about that right away because we want time to play the game and fully experience everything. Um, but we'll definitely do a review of that at some point. But then actually, uh, two weeks from today, as we're recording this, is May the 4th. Um, and, uh, you know, we got visions obviously coming out that day. So, um, we may do, we might record something beforehand and like release some kind of fun special episode on May the 4th, or we might just record on May 4th and then release that later. Uh, or maybe we'll do both. I don't know. Um, and hopefully we can get Paul back on some of this stuff soon too. But, uh, you know, we got tons of awesome star Wars stuff still coming up. So, you know, we're not going anywhere. Um, so we look forward to talking again with you guys soon, but, uh, until then, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>